Hey, this is Chris Lockwood, and you're listening to the Chris Lockwood Podcast, Alive. In a Welcome to the Chris Lockwood Podcast, where we have the privilege of hearing from people just like you and me who are seeking, learning, growing, striving to better understand just what it means to be fully alive and how that translates in the day-to-day. Well, this is podcast number three, and I feel like I'm going to say this every week, but thank you for becoming a part of the conversation, for listening, for sharing it over social media, and for all of your kind words as well. I really appreciate it. But my hope is for you to walk away each week feeling inspired, hopeful, renewed, encouraged, maybe even a little wiser. I want this podcast to be a place that's safe to be real, transparent, authentic, where we can grow, where we can better understand and really learn to love and appreciate people for who they truly are. The great thing about this is that each of us, because we're all so unique, will come away from each podcast with something different. And I'd love to hear from you, what your thoughts are, what you're getting out of the podcast, maybe even some suggestions. Uh, You can find me uh, or find the podcast on Facebook. You can tweet me at clockwoodmusic, that's clockwoodmusic, or email me at chrislockwoodpodcast at gmail.com. Your comments, your thoughts, they're all more than welcome. Now, before I introduce this next guest, I just want to say that I'm still very much so in the infancy stages of this podcast, so there's a lot of growth and improvement that needs to happen here. I'm well aware of that. But that being said, I wanted you to understand that I've started out by pulling from the circle of people that I personally know. So you're likely to hear me talk to a lot of musical guests in the beginning because I've spent the bulk of my professional life doing music. But just to be clear, this is not a podcast about music. This is a podcast about life, enduring challenges, learning to overcome, discovering what it means to thrive, and ultimately, hope. Which segues nicely into this next gentleman. He's a professional recording artist, one of the most brilliant singers you'll ever hear. In fact, watching him as his career unfolded is one of the things that really inspired me to pursue music professionally. He's just released a brand new solo CD called Keep Breathing, but he's most recognized as one of the founding members of the incredibly successful pop vocal group, Avalon. Now, some few months ago, before I even began the work toward podcasting, Jody and I had some time to visit together, and yet again, Jody McBrayer inspired me. Because as we talked candidly about life, listening to him openly share his pain and the demons with which he wrestles, made me realize how important it is for us as human beings to have others who will simply sit and listen. And I've not always been great at that. But what a privilege it is for us when anybody gives you the honor of seeing you as somebody they feel they can trust and sharing their life with. And what a blessing that somebody would consider you or me important enough to quietly, uncondemningly, with understanding, 
Simply listen to what you or I have to say. In this world of social media, we are so connected and yet so very alone. I want to be better about connecting with people, heart and soul. We've got enough of the superficial, and Jody is far from superficial. After that first meeting, I remember Jody telling me that he was concerned that I might think less of him, and honestly, that couldn't be further from the truth. Knowing a little more about who he really is, I actually appreciate and think more highly of him now than I did not knowing, and I know you will too. And so with that, I give you the man of the hour, Jody McBrayer. What's your favorite interview moment? Well, <laughs> probably like the first two minutes. You know, it's a good thing we're friends, or if we weren't friends, you totally would use that <laughs> against me. Um, are you doing a lot of interviews? Like, yeah. Last few days I have. Yeah, have you missed that? No. But, you know, in the same respect, I think I am a different person now, really. I mean, literally, like, if people change, I change. I've changed. When did you, uh, you, how old were you when you stopped at one? Um, it was in 2007, so I was 37. Okay, so 40, like, 40, and y'all started, 40, it was, 48. I mean, we'll get to this later, but like, when y'all started, it was, I mean, it was, you guys took off pretty fast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, well, I mean, it, it took us, it took about a year, but I mean, it was faster, I think, than, I don't know, it was interesting how that yeah. happened. I guess what I'm saying is like, what I'm getting at is, you know, when you say you're a different person, like, I mean... You were young when you started Avalon. Yeah, 26. And you sucked up in this whirlwind. 26. Where the music business is doing incredibly well. Mm-hmm. It was the glory days of the music industry. Right. Yeah. Are we taping? We are. Oh, but, okay. oh, and I was going to get around to all that later, but like I was just thinking about like, I mean, you're, you're just saying you're a different person now. Like, yeah. It's gotta be. Um, well, I mean, I was 26 and, yeah. uh, you know, oh starstruck. Baby. Just came to Nashville. I remember sitting in the offices at Sparrow Records, which was... You know, at the time Sparrow was it. It was huge. Know? And um, you're sitting there waiting to talk to Grant Cunningham, who was the head of A&R at the time. Ended up being a great friend. And uh, looking around and like Stephen Curtis Chapman's picture was on the wall. And BB and CC Winans and Twyla Paris and Carmen. At the time, Carmen was huge. And all these different Christian artists that I had grown up listening to. And I was just like, holy crap. <laughs> so intimidating. <laughs> and then going into this meeting and them asking me a billion questions about stuff and just... Um, I, I knew Grant was awesome, such a kind guy and everybody, I mean, everybody was nice, but I just knew I was going to be managed. You know what I mean? Yeah. I knew from the start that it was going to be a, now this is the template of what we want you to be and uh, yeah. don't stray from that template uh, yeah. kind of thing. And we didn't, I mean, for 12 years, I stayed within that template and did what I was told to do. Okay. We're going to start from the beginning of your life. First off, start just in case no one was, <laughs> just in case no one listens to the whole thing, you have a new CD hey, coming out. Everybody needs to listen to the whole to thing. The whole thing because it's probably going to be the best podcast. Yes, I have a new CD that by the time they listen to this is probably out. Yeah. It's called Keep Breathing and it's available online and in stores and all that stuff. Awesome. Okay. Um let's just start from the beginning of your life. Okay, I'm drinking coffee, so if you hear me gulp, that's what it is. Riverview, Florida. Oh, yeah. Which is where? Tampa. Like central. Tampa. Are you are you a beach guy? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, this winter. Ugh, hate it. Really? Mm-hmm. Because I mean, you've been here for a while. Yeah. I mean, but you know what's so funny is in the summer here, it can be, it's like hell. Literally, like, yeah. it feels 190 degrees and Satan's like, 
can I come in? You know. <laughs> and so I always want to, I'm always like, oh, I can't wait for fall. Because fall here is pretty fantastic. You know, it gets a little nippy. and But now, I just, the cold, I'm like, oh my gosh, I need sun. And, you know, I went on a cruise a couple of weeks ago, I, I which was nice. Picture. And that was fantastic. <laughs> you're lucky you're not sick today. No, I know. I don't, I mean, thank God. But it was... You know, we had this huge... I, I stayed with the guy who was the big promoter of the cruise. Uh-huh. And so he had this huge wraparound balcony on a cruise ship. I've never seen anything like it in my life. It was ginormous. I never even left the boat. Like, I literally, except to sing, I stayed in my room and laid on that deck. Because there was... You know, I don't want people seeing my white, fat body. And so I was like, well, this is private. So... <laughs> That's like, why don't you go do something? You're like, have you seen well, I did. my balcony? No, St. Martin, I did leave, and we went and rode four-wheelers, and that was nice. But, but all the other ones, I stayed right there. That's awesome. Okay, so does not make you like <laughs> a Seminole or Gator fan? I am a Gator Are you? all the way. I love SEC football. Do you really? It. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I grew up. My dad was a Gator. My brothers, they, they all went to Florida. And no. so, um, yeah, big Gator fans. Huh. We had a big bronze Gator that sat on the entry hall of our house when you walked in and my dad would make people pet the gator (laughs) and so there was a little spot because you know bronze starts to turn like kind of green and brown after a while and there was a spot one spot that was shiny because everybody pet it in the same place oh my gosh yeah okay so what was jody what was the young lad jody mcbrayer like what did you do your interests your hobbies when you were young Loved spacey stuff. I was nerdy, spacey. Really? Yeah. I remember my mom took me to, to J.C. Penney's one time and bought me this shirt that was blue and it had stars all over it, like it looked like Star Wars. And I wore that thing like every day. I loved it. And it wasn't Star Wars. No, it wasn't. I'm sure it was like <laughs> Garanimals or something. Oh my gosh. But I, uh, yeah, I wanted to be an astronaut and I loved Star Trek and Star Wars and had all the figures and, you know, used to have fake lightsaber battles, lightsaber yeah. So what do you think about Star Wars? Oh, I loved it. it was I thought he did great, J.J. Yeah. Abrams. Yeah, he did a really... I mean, he's great. I yeah. mean, I don't I don't know that I've seen an Abrams movie that I haven't liked. Except I didn't care for Cloverfield all that much. That was kind of a yeah. womp womp. But, I, I, yeah, he did a good job. Yeah. And I love the new Star Trek, too. I love the reboot. It's like a hipper, skinny jean wearing Star Trek. That's cool. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. <laughs> it's lots of money. <laughs> and, I, and, and judging by what the new Star Wars movie has done, JJ's doing it just oh, fine. Okay. <laughs> okay, do you have any brothers and sisters? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry, coffee. I have two older brothers, um, Jim and Richard. And Jimmy lives in Philadelphia, and he sells drugs for a living. Wow. No, he's a pharmaceutical executive. He's like the head of, um, one of the heads of marketing for GlaxoSmithKline. It's okay. a big pharmaceutical conglomerate. And then my other brother, Richard, actually does sell. He's a sales rep for okay. a pharma. So they both got into pharma. It's weird. Yeah. And Richard lives in Tampa near my mom. My mom still lives in Riverview. So. Okay. That's cool. Were you guys close growing up? Uh, Richard, there's a big age gap between Richard and I, so we weren't as close. We've gotten a little bit closer the older now that we're older, you know, and that doesn't matter as much. Yeah. But my middle brother, Jim, and I were always really close and still are. Um, just more relatable. I think Richard is very left-brained, very sporty. Yeah. You know, like ran track, played football, went up to on a football scholarship, and you know, I'm right. I'm like music and theater and dance, you know. And so we were just we had that chasm between us, plus the age. Right. Jimmy, the middle one, he was sort of a hybrid. Loved music, you know. Was very artistic, even though he's left-brained and keeps his checkbook balanced, and I have to check my balance every day. <laughs> I love your one-liners. Yeah. You've had so many interviews. You've got all these. I know. They're all there. Bam. <laughs> okay, so uh, your mom and dad, like, what do they do? Uh, dad was um, in the Air Force for 12 years, and wow. then 
out of the Air Force, took a job with the Postal Service, so government employee his whole life, and uh, passed away being a uh, postmaster. And he also pastored a church. He got ordained wow. late in life, like probably late 30s, and pastored a small Baptist church in Tampa for like five or six years. Huh. And then mom was a school teacher. She was a teacher's aide and school teacher. And she's bilingual. She's Spanish, and uh, so she speaks Spanish. Spanish yeah. is her first language. So that's very useful in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Is your mom, she's not Latino, is she? Yeah, she is. Is she? Mm-hmm. My okay. grandmother was from Sicily. My grandfather was from I Spain. I've yeah. read that. Or... And we took her back to Spain this past summer, the brothers and I did, okay. to like visit roots and see. How long has it been since she's done that? Oh, she hasn't been back since she was a little girl. Oh, yeah, it's been a long time. Awesome. It was cool. Yeah, we she weep? Time. Not really. She's not a weepy person. <laughs> my dad was the weepy one. Yeah. I am my dad, tried and true. Okay. My mom is just like, get up, you're fine. I don't care if your arm's <laughs> falling off. Get up. She's very... You know, very much the hard. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So, like a teacher from mom, and yeah. then a pastor for yeah. dad. Well, he was a post. He was, you know, my father was not a typical pastor. I mean, he danced, he drank, he he right. was, you know, very laid back guy. He wasn't, you know, didn't abuse any of it, but he was just cool. Yeah, you know, and so. So was it more like he kind of had a church? He was working more during the week. Is yeah, he just did it on, just on the weekends. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. So it's not a dangerous combination of. Oh, I, it, it about killed him. About killed him. Really? Yeah. Just well, the whole church in general about killed him. Yeah. You know, just I watched people. You know, people are ridiculous. Did it grow? Like was it? Oh yeah. Really? I mean, when he got when he took over, it was a sleepy little, quiet church. Yeah. And, and when he left, I mean, I'm sure they had probably tripled in size as far as membership, and they had done so much to the grounds and. You know, done just a, a lot of things to improve it. And I was young. I mean, I think when he started pastoring there, I was like maybe eight or nine. And then when he was finished, I was like 13. Oh, so wow. it was. I was still pretty young. And I was forced to go along. My brothers were older and they didn't go. Yeah. I don't think they ever went at all. <laughs> Losers. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> were, you, were you guys PK kids? Were you no. No? No, not really. My It wasn't typical. You know what I mean? It yeah. wasn't a... You know, now we were in church when we were younger. I mean, we were there every time this, the doors were open. But right. my dad didn't become a Christian until later in life, probably when he was 20, 25, something like that, right. maybe 30. And so, you know, he had a different perspective. I think, I think when you become a Christian and you grow up in church and you're there all the time, you think, you know, there's a specific way that life is supposed to be. Mm. And when you become a Christian older in life, you recognize just the fundamentals of who Christ is. You don't recognize the liturgical legalistic nonsense right. that surrounds it yeah. you know yeah. and that was my dad huh. he was just like okay these things are ridiculous you know this is Jesus this is the core of who he is that's what I'm going to teach but all the legalistic junk you can keep it yeah. I don't have time for it and and that's I think that's why I you am the that. way I am yeah. I'm, a, I'm a no you modeled that for you yeah that's good when did you start singing probably when I was in high school Really, in I mean, church is that was that the yeah up church. To? Well, I sang in church on and off all the time. Just people are like, oh, you can carry a tune. Come on, you know. Any, yeah. especially in a small Baptist church in Riverview, Florida, not a whole lot to pick from for youth choir. Right. So they're like, oh, you can carry a tune. Come on, Jody. And so I sang a little. But um, when I was in high school, I started to sing a little bit more and take it seriously. And, and then I was in like, I I tried out and got the lead in Oklahoma. A musical, which I, you know, I thought I'd rather be shot in the head than, <laughs> but it actually was great. I loved it. Had a great time. I got I to kiss Kim movie. Elson, which Kim Elson was hot, and I had a crush on her, so I got to kiss her. How old were you when that happened? Sixteen. It was my were senior you? year. Yeah, and um, I was playing tennis and couldn't play tennis. I broke my ankle. 
So it's awesome. Yeah. I, my wife has not seen Oklahoma. And, what? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I don't think my wife has either, to be honest. But my wife's not a musical person. Yeah. Like, she loves Wicked. Like, we went to see Wicked when we were in New York, and she was pregnant with Sarah Clayton when we went to see that. So she was, like, nauseous the whole time. She's like, it's really good. Can we go? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I love, I, I mean, Les Mis is a life changer for yeah. me. If you haven't seen Les Mis. I haven't seen it on Broadway. I saw the off-Broadway traveling show. Yeah. Did you see the movie? Yeah. Which, okay. I, I don't love Hugh Jackman's voice. Like, it's just, uh, 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 you know, it's like that vibrato. It just drives me insane. But I thought that Anne Hathaway was brilliant. It's, she's probably one of the most brilliant performances ever on the yeah. screen. Oh, yeah. Like, and, that, and, and you know the fact that they were singing that live. Like, they had a piano player backstage. Did you know that? No. Nah. Yes. The entire thing. This I watched a making of it. And, I, and we, even my wife were like, are you kidding me? They had a piano player on set. And the piano guy played the songs, and they sang them, and then added orchestration after. So what you heard her singing was singing live. Wasn't she a one-taker? Oh, yeah. She, it, no, it was in the moment. They didn't stop. It was in the moment. And so, like, I get teared up thinking about it. Like, I'm like, <laughs> that kind of talent just, I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's that's amazing. I hope she knows where it comes from. Yeah. You know, that's the only thing I worry about sometimes with people, that kind of talent. I'm like, I hope you recognize. I mean, to have been on, I mean, for someone that's not singing every day. Yeah. I mean... I know. Well, and you know, the funny thing is is she didn't sing... I don't know if you... I'm a big Oscar person. Like, I love to watch the Oscars. Yeah. I, I love all that pop culture crap. And, um, I mean, I don't take it all that seriously, but I enjoy it. Yeah. And so, one year on the Oscars, they did this thing where um, the previous... Or, like, the previous nominees from the year before got up and stood in a row and said something to the present nominees. So, like, Anne Hathaway was nominated for, I think, Supporting Actress for The Devil Wears Prada. And whoever, uh, who was it? I think it was, um, who's the crazy woman that was in Steel Magnolias that's so funny? She played Weezer. Oh, yeah. I and she was on at Downton Abbey, and I can't think of her name. Anyway, um, Sh uh, Shirley MacLaine. Okay. She was the one that got nominated and won the year before for Supporting Actress. And so she stood up, and she introduced Anne Hathaway's award. And she said, you know, you're a really excellent singer, because apparently they'd done something together. And so that's why Anne started trying to sing more. And then she got that role. And That's frustrating. <laughs> for, people, for, people in, for people who are in the music world, you know what I mean? Yeah, like well, someone, sure. It's someone like, who's like, oh, I'm an actor. You're an actor for Pete's sake. Let us sing. <laughs> I know. And she knocks it out of the park. Good for her. Anyway. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, did anybody, like, inspire you as a singer? Like, cool. was, were you watching any, was anybody or Yeah. Was um, well, Anita Baker, Whitney Houston. Okay. I mean, you know, I was an 80s baby, yeah. so... I mean, I, I put a thing today, today, this interview day is four years ago today is Whitney Houston died. And so I, you know, I thought about that. And I'm like, man, that was such a huge part of my, my adolescence and my teenage years was yeah. I want to dance with somebody and where do oh broken gosh. hearts go? And, um, you know, you give good love and all that stuff. I just, I remember being, my brother was at University of Florida, Jimmy, my middle brother. And I went up to see him, which I can't believe my parents let me do. I wasn't even, I think I was 15. And they let me go without any parental supervision. And it was one big party. I mean, it was just like, woo! <laughs> and so, but one night my brother was going to this crazy one, this kegger, and he knew I couldn't go. He was like, you stay here in my house. And so, okay, sorry. I keep hearing noises upstairs. Did you hear that? Is there a ghost in the house? Well, we hear people walking upstairs all the time. Are we you think serious? No, I'm not kidding. I think it's like we all, my wife always says she calls him Pedro, because it's like 
the, one of the guys that built the house, his name was Pedro. And so she's like, there's Pedro. And so it always freaks me out. So my daughter won't go upstairs. And my wife is always like, oh, Pedro won't hurt you. Go upstairs. And she's like, I hate you. So if you hear somebody walking around Your upstairs, it's the ghost of Pedro. Oh or either the little man that lives in our attic. <laughs> hey, we're down here if you want anything. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> Whitney Houston. I was in my brother's apartment. He went to a party. And before he left, he goes, hey, I got this new record. You'll really like it. You need to listen to it. I was like, okay. And it was Whitney Houston on vinyl, her first record. And I remember putting it on there and hearing the, you know, you give, the beginning of You Give Good Love. And I just thought, this is special. This yeah. is something real. And I knew she was going to be huge. And she was. She yeah. was she, she was probably my biggest influence. Her yeah. and Anita Baker, if you yeah. know who Anita Baker is. Um, but I met Anita Baker. And I met Whitney at the Doves the year she did the Dove Awards. Nice. And she actually held my Dove while she was taking a picture. And so I had to whip her. And she just shook my hand and said, thank you. But she, at least she was nice. Yeah. I met Anita Baker at a Grammy party after the Grammys one year, and she was mean. Really? I was like, Miss Baker, you've been a huge influence. Can I take a picture with you? And she's like, no. And I was like, well, all right. <laughs> Lip starts quivering. Yeah, I was like so upset. <laughs> and my wife's standing there with the camera like all excited, and she's like, no, and walks away. And Stephanie's like, oh. And oh here's, the cool, here's the cool twist. So we're like, I can't believe that. That's so rude. And we hear this person behind us go, I can't believe she did that. That is the rudest thing ever. And we turn around and it's Nora freaking Jones. And Nora <laughs> oh Jones and my wife stand for an hour and talk about maternity because my wife was pregnant. She had this beautiful poochy yeah. maternity dress on. Gorgeous. And so she's like, I love your dress. And Nora's holding like five Grammys. She had won so many that year. And they just became buddies, her and Nora Jones, hanging How out. funny. But yet Anita Baker couldn't take my picture. So we took pictures with Nora instead. Yeah. She probably felt the pressure of... Of the the, of the lack of, of her career at the time. No, the comment that of, pressure. The comment of her, uh, of her saying like, "That's so rude. I can't believe she did that." And then all of a sudden, she's got to be nice because she just said, "Oh, oh no." She was sorry. Well, and Stephanie, my wife, actually bumped into her. She's like, "I'm so sorry." She goes, "No, I'm sorry. It's so crowded." And she was couldn't have been more delightful. She was awesome. Yeah. And so that was her first. Was that her first? Yeah, album? that was the first time you know come what away a with great me. Great album. Yeah. And she won five Grammys, and she had them all. Unlike the doves where you win a dove and they mail it to you six weeks later and the nameplate and falls it's plastic. off. Yeah. It's like everyone that's another noise we hear from upstairs. Our doves are in a are in a I'll show you after we're done. They're in like a a curio thing that our TV sits on, so you can't really see them unless you look. But it's wood. And so the nameplates, you know, on the front of the Dove Awards, I don't know if they're that way now, but back in the ancient of days when we got Dove Awards, they just stuck them on there. And so every once in a while we hear Cling, 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 cling. <laughs> it's definitely be like, there's the dove. There goes your career. <laughs> there's the dove. It's like, how ironic. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so uh, did you know in high school you wanted to be a singer professionally? Or were you kind of like, eh? eh? I didn't know. Yeah. I mean, what do you know in high school? I right. mean, I didn't know whether to scratch my watch or run my butt in high school. <laughs> I didn't. I just was like, you know, I got a I got a scholarship for music to Liberty University. Right. So it must have been. I mean, you were serious yeah. about it. I mean, if somebody thought I was decent, yeah. they wouldn't have paid me to go to school if they didn't. Yeah. So I went and I sang my way through college. Um, how did they find out about you, or how did you, did you just find out about? School? Well, no, I you know uh, you know the group Truth. I right. was in Truth, and yeah, of course you know the group Truth. And um, Roger, my I, somebody, I started singing my senior year, and then a really good friend of ours, she said, oh, you know, this group Truth is going to be at Carpenter's Home Church in Lakeland. You should go hear them. They're really good. You'd love them. And you should audition. 
And so I didn't know. I didn't know how this works. I was like, yeah, okay, sure, I'll go sing and audition. <laughs> I didn't know. And so I went, and there's like 10,000 people there, you know. And this was back when the Four Him guys were still yeah. in the group. And they were amazing. I mean, that group was stunning. And after it was over, I remember sitting in the audience watching them thinking, I, I could do that. Yeah. I like that. And I told my dad, I said, Dad, I like that. That's what I want to do. And so my dad, you know, he charged hell with a water pistol. He's an amazing man. After it was over, he grabs me and he says, come on. And he's pulling me down the front. And, um, and Roger was standing up there. There were people around. And my dad stands up. Everybody's praying at the altar. And my dad's standing up. He's like <laughs> motioning for Roger to come here. And I'm like, I'm so embarrassed. And Roger bends over and he goes, my son wants to be in your group. And Roger goes, well, your son, how old is your son? And he goes, he's 16. He goes, he needs to go to college. And he goes, um, and then, you know, once he gets a degree, we'll see. But he said, you know, my, my <coughs> sons go to Liberty <coughs> University. Or they're going to Liberty University, same age as your son. You should check it out. They have a great music program. And he's like, okay, thanks. So, you know, my dad, that's just how he is. He's a military guy. Yeah. So he's like, he said, Liberty, let's check out Liberty. Yeah. Sorry, that's probably really loud. And so we checked on, we called and asked about the music program, and we got a, sweet, a really sweet secretary, Mrs. Carnes, and she said, hey, um, the group The Sounds of Liberty, which is a scholarship group, they're going to be in Plant City if you want to go see them. I can talk and see if they'll do an audition. They usually don't audition freshmen. And so I went to see them like a couple of weeks later and auditioned. They And they was like, we usually don't take freshmen, but we'll take you. And I was like, okay, that's cool, you know. So I knew I was, and my dad's like, I want you to be a gator, but free school's better, so bye-bye. Yeah, absolutely. Bye-bye. Don't let the door hit you in the bottom. <laughs> so I went to Liberty for four years and had free school. and That's awesome. Yeah. Did you, uh, was it hard to leave home? Because that's a long no. ways away. No? Mm-mm. Ready to be gone? Mm-hmm. Did you miss the beach kind of? Oh, yeah. Well, there? yeah. I mean, tennis, I mean Lynchburg, Lynchburg is landlocked, yeah. you know, it's surrounded by nothing. Oh, yeah. And there's nothing to do there. Yeah. And and there's no liberty at Liberty. There's more liberty now yeah, than no, there was. Liberty was, is Liberty one of the schools that was like super conservative? Oh, yeah. Like, we had to wear a suit and tie to class every day. Men, you know, girls. Now, we could hold hands with girls and stuff. I mean, it wasn't like side, separate sidewalks right. and that ridiculousness. It's like, oh, let's fight nature and keep them apart. Let's don't let them make their own choices, right. for Pete's sake. <laughs> anyway, so... But it, but it was still, you know, like I had to hide my Amy Grant CDs. You know, that's the kind of stuff they were stupid about. It's like, we don't listen to contemporary Christian rock because Amy Grant sings about love and, you know, we don't, you know, stupid stuff like that. So, um, oh so gosh. I hid my Amy Grant CDs <laughs> under my mattress. <laughs> and my other stuff. I hid my Whitney Houston. I hid the real, the real bad mainstream stuff, you know. Were you studying music? Is it? Yeah, I was business major and music minor. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And you were in Sounds of Liberty. I was. Nice. Did you do that all four? Did yeah. you have to do all four years? All four years. Yeah. Yep. And um, we would travel and sing with Jerry, and we'd sing on his TV show and all that stuff. Yeah. Is that okay? So then you you're kind of clueless in high school about. I was still clueless. And- Bro, let me tell you something. I, in some ways, I'm still clueless because God's a mystery. Oh, the older I get, the more clueless. Yeah, I get. the less I know. Like, you know. Yeah. But in the same respect, it's like I don't know that I even got any sort of clue yeah. at all till I was probably forty. Yeah. So just so you know, just for the record, I was clueless until about three or four years ago, and even then, it's only a half a clue. <laughs> did you? Okay. So then, did, was that kind of confirmation? Sounds of liberty. Like, it was like, okay, I'm gonna do this from here on out. I guess. I, I, I don't think that there was ever... I'm just being honest with you. No, no, I don't think that I ever had... 
I just did it because I didn't know what else to do. All right, yeah. You know, and I and apparently I was good at it at the time. I mean, I didn't I didn't listen to myself and think, oh, I'm a great singer. Yeah. I should, you know, there wasn't like that. Like I didn't go and audition for American Idols, and I didn't. I just didn't know what else to do. Yeah. And so when somebody looks at you and says, oh, "You're really good at that. You should do that," I was just like, okay. I mean, nobody was telling me I was good at math, so I wasn't going to be the next Stephen Hawking. <laughs> you know, nobody was telling me I was good at, you know, I wasn't going to be the next Donald Trump and sell real estate. Right. I, I was good at singing, yeah. and so I sang. I love that. You know? Did you finish? College? No, I have 17 hours Did left. You really? Is that not the dumbest thing ever? You were, now you were roommates with Jason. I was. Did you leave early because of truth? Yeah. Okay. I just didn't like school. Yeah. I didn't like Who it. did? No, I hated it. I, my, you know, I was, in <clears> high school, <throat> I was a really good student, the average student, honor society sometimes, sometimes. In college, it was like D's. I just hated it. I hated going, I hated the whole process. I was a social butterfly. I wanted to, and you know, I just hated it. That was me. So my dad's like, I'll never forget, I, I, I think it was my junior year, because I went through my junior year, and we got my last, you know, report, whatever they call it, you know, grades for my junior year. And my dad's like, apparently college is not your thing. <laughs> and I said, you think? And he, I think they would have been way more upset if they had been paying for it, but because they weren't, you know, my dad's like, well, you know, maybe you just need to figure out what your thing is then because you're wasting some time here. And it wasn't after, it wasn't shortly after that where Roger Breland came up and said, you know, okay, if you're not going to stay, then I'll take you. If you want to come to Truth, come on. And so I left and joined Truth. And that's your big, first big road gig. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Sounds of Liberty traveled a lot. It's, it's a I mean, I never went home except for Christmas. We, we, we stayed at school all summer long, which that was awesome because we weren't in class. We stayed in the dorms. We, we, no, we weren't policed yeah. at all. So we'd walk around in shorts. and You know, I mean, it was just, I loved it. I was in Vision at the University of Mobile. Yeah. So they were like the recruiting team, mm. like, you know, music thing. No, Is that the, kind of what Light, was? Light was the recruiting team, the team that Jason was in. Okay. Yeah, okay. they were more for recruiting. What was Sounds? Was just... Sounds was, was the... Old time gospel hour, Jerry Falwell. Okay. We we sang on the show every Sunday morning. Okay. And, yeah. That's awesome. Um, did you enjoy getting? A, you, I guess you were, you probably spent time with him. Yeah, with you know, not a ton. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he was somewhat presidential. Yeah. You know what I mean? But he was a great guy. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know that I have anything bad to say about Jerry Falwell. He was probably the most consistent. I think you know there'll be some. Christians who aren't necessarily fundamental Baptists who would be like, oh, he was this and he was that, whatever. Yeah. He was a great guy. Yeah. And he did more probably for the cause of faith in this country than just about anybody, especially yeah. during that season. Yeah. So truth. Yeah. It's your big hurrah. Here we go. So like truth is probably one of the toughest road gigs oh, that yeah. ever existed. It, it is heaven and hell. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. I mean like people don't realize, um, I mean like, you're, the show is always every no matter who was in the, sh- the group it was always like immaculate like it was always yeah. stellar. Well, you know, what's so funny is behind the scenes it was like herding cats. Yeah, it was just like chaos all the time and just dysfunction junction and people you know it, people either loved each other or hated each right. other and you set up your own equipment you stayed in host homes and it was just a mess and then it became time for the performance and it was like Shh. yeah it was perfect. That's the thing is like I mean you're kind of. You're kind of running on fumes because I, uh-huh. I remember I didn't, I wasn't there for a full two, what, two years. I was there for Christmas, Christmas, and then I did the hundred date farewell tour. Did you sing? I played. I thought so. Okay. And um, I'm surprised he didn't have you sing. I sucked at singing then, but that's another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was a high guy that didn't have the quality, is what it was, and oh, I couldn't figure that out. I doubt that. Um, and so like, but I mean like, yeah, you're setting up all your stuff. 
Yeah. Well, we had a diesel worth of crap that you're setting up. Yeah, it's a Step semi. Check, it's a tractor trailer. Maybe full. take a thirty minute nap. Eat. Get dressed. You got to room. nap. Yeah, I mean, it, I maybe I, I, I didn't. But it's like, nuts. And, and then you set it. Then you tear it down and set it up to next night, next a different day. place. And I said, and it was every day. True. Yeah. Is that were you? Were you like just thrilled to be there, or were you just like, holy crap? What well, I think at the time there? I was thrilled to be there. Yeah. You know, I mean, because it was an aspiration of mine for so many years. Because I'd seen them when I was in high school. Did you love it? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think initially when I was younger, I did love it. Yeah. Um, it was it was exciting. It was a different city all the time. You know, the people, for the most part, were great. Mm. You know, there's always an oddball or two when you're on the road. That's right. just how artists are. I mean, yeah. we're weird people. And so eccentric, and when you're living on a bus together, it's like, no, that's my space, or that's my stuff, or get out of my face, or your breath stinks, or please go comb your hair, or when's the last time you took a shower, or, you know, you have a dirty mouth, or I don't know, all that stuff. You know, it just starts to get on your nerves. That was, it was shell, it was shell shock for me, because I was like... Um, yeah, that was the first time I kind of been in like the real world where like you have all these different personalities, mm-hmm. and so you picture truth being sort of like this angelic heaven-like experience, mm-hmm. and then it's like, oh, no, wow. it's well, I mean, okay, and it's not bad. No, it's, it's just, not it's bad. It's just learning to adapt to each yeah. other, and and, and, and it, 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 for me, and and you know anybody you talk to that's been in truth, they'll make fun of Roger Breland. You know what I mean? We all do. Yeah. And Roger makes fun of us to people. He, he acts like he doesn't. Like, y'all just make fun of me all the time, don't you? But I know for a fact that when he's sitting around a table with his friends, he picks on all the... He tells all a million stories, stories about us. I guarantee you he tells stories about me now, brother. I know he does. Roger, if you're listening, I love you, but you know it's true. But in the same respect, it explains a lot why he was the way he was. Yeah. Because he was... Honestly, he was herding cats out there. It was nuts. Yeah. And... You know, people, just so many different things. And, you know, being on a bus for 265, 320 days a year, you know, you go home for Christmas, you have two weeks off at Christmas after a Christmas tour, and then you come back in January and you just keep going again. You fall in love with people, you get mad at people, you, it's life and death with people. And so it's nuts. But in the same (laughs) respect, I can't think of a better crash course in reality than yeah. being on the road. Absolutely. And, and in some ways I wish that, it's sort of like how in Israel you have to be in the military, you know? Mm-hmm. I almost think we have to require the military in the United States and then you have to travel on the road with the band for a year. Yeah. Because it's a crash course in humanity. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And everybody, uh, I've, heard, I've heard so many people say that people that were in truth uh, in the music industry tend to be the hardest working, most reliable people. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. they learned, you know. I think, I think that that's probably, there are a lot of things that people said about Avalon, but the one thing that was unanimous across the board in our record company always said it was like, we always know you guys will do the work yeah. and you won't complain about yeah. it. And I think it's because Jana and I both had been in truth and you just, you just did it. Yeah. You, you know, you woke, that was the schedule. If you don't, you, and you, and there were no surprises going into it. It's like, look, you know, if it's, in a week, we'll have six concerts. You might have one day off. Sometimes we didn't. Yeah. Sometimes we did seven in a row. You know, and on Sundays, it'd be Sunday morning and then Sunday night. So, you know. So then you go to California. Yeah. Why, was that... Did, like, why? Um, well... Was it like, hey, there I was some, do this? There was some indiscretion in my, in my hand. Yeah, I, I mean, truth, I had an issue in, you know, with some somebody in truth and, <clears> Lord, <throat> we don't need to go into all that, but... You know, I was young. I was, you know, 21 years old and just stupid. Yeah. And like I said, I hadn't figured anything out. I just, I just did stuff. Yeah. And then I remember even going to Liberty and just doing stuff and not realizing that it was wrong, 
because of the way that I was raised. I mean, we just didn't have, I mean, we had moral, we had morals. We were like, you know, you don't lie, cheat, steal, all that stuff. But in the same respect, it was just, I just did stuff because I thought it was okay. And then people were like, hey, this is a Christian school. We don't do that here, yeah. you know? And so I always felt like this horrible heathen because if I said a curse word, oh, 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 oh you know, there it, it was no grace at all and no, you know, no loving anybody where they were. And so even with truth, there was some of that. It wasn't quite as bad, but some of that. And it just it just got to be too much. And and I wasn't, you know, Roger didn't want me to leave. Nobody wanted me to leave, but I just, my dad was like, why don't you take a break? Yeah. You know, and I had this opportunity to go and work for Disney in California. And okay. so I took it. Yeah. And I so left. it wasn't like the ambition to go be a star or anything like that? No, <clears throat> I, I don't know. I mean, I didn't, again, California has repeating that same thing. I didn't know. Yeah. I just went. I just... Open. I'm singing, let's go. And so I went and did this Disney symphonic fantasy tour and sang with that. And and then, um, you know, worked. I worked at a church part-time. Just, I don't know what I was doing there either. I, I seriously didn't do anything. Did you work at, other, at like, odd jobs? Yeah, I did session work. I worked um, for, I worked at uh, Emporio Armani. Do you know what Emporio Armani is? Giorgio Armani's, like, kind of hipper, trendy wow. store. I worked there. Um, I actually loved that job because uh, I got free clothes. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah. And then one day, Roger called and said, okay, I'm ready for you. To-. No, <clears throat> Billy called me. Billy Breland. And I don't know how he got my number, because this was before cell phones. He goes, I'm ready for you to come back. And I was like, that's nice, Billy. It shouldn't Roger be calling me? Because <laughs> have you talked to your brother? Because he may not be ready. And he goes, Roger and I have talked. And, and I, I think I, to this day, and Roger and I have never talked about this, but I think that he, <clears throat> I think that he, put, he put Billy up to making that call because he didn't feel comfortable doing it. I think because of what had happened and how we parted, I just think he thought I was mad at him. Yeah. And I said, you know, I'm not quite ready, Billy. You know, I've got, and so I think I stuck it out for another year in California. And then in 2004, late 2004, I went back yeah. and... They they had this vision to start the one group and they signed with integrity and all this stuff was happening and did that make you think like this is we're gonna hit it big this time? Well, I mean they set it up that we were gonna be legitimate artists yeah. this time, you know, which I kind of knew that how's that gonna work because yeah. I knew the band wouldn't be a part of that. I knew it was just gonna be the singers, and I just thought okay, mm, yeah, you know. But I went back and we did and we made the one record and the one record I listened to it now and I think oh we screamed the entire time I was like oh. No, no, it was just like screaming <laughs> like why did we do that and it was such a departure for truth mm-hmm. you know really and there were some great moments on it I mean the mind of Christ was a great moment for yeah. me um, and I almost redid it on my record I was this close to redoing it but I just I don't know it's like I, there were a million reasons why and we'll get to that in a minute but um, you know I, like when it's all I can do singing that with Jana I love that moment but I was so afraid to sound like a girl like, I, if you listen to it, I covered my voice. Yeah. I was like, Here at your mercy, humbled by grace. I was so afraid to sound like, like I sound now. Yeah. yeah, because I just had this stigma of like, oh, if I sound like a girl, people think I'm a sissy or I'm gay. Or, yeah. And so I just would cover my voice. Interesting. And, yeah. Because that's naturally, your, like, that's just how your voice sounds. Well, yeah, it is. I mean, it is now, and I don't fight it. Yeah. But back then, I was terrified of it. And so um, went back with Truth, did the one album. And then, you know, out of that, Jana and I recorded to do Avalon. Yeah. And the first record that I did in the studio with Brown Bannister, Brown took me to took me to Backyard Burger and said, why do you fight what you are? 
you know, you have a beautiful voice. And, you know, why are you covering that? Why are you trying to sound something different? He goes, I, I, I mean, a song-by-song basis, sure. If it's like a rockier song, then cover your voice. Make it sound rockier, right. but don't change your tone. Your tone is lovely. And, um, and I'll forever be indebted to Brown for that, for a lot of things, um, but mostly for that because he helped me kind of... That's funny that you say that, because like now that you say that, thinking about what the one album sounds like when you sing, and then thinking about what you sound like live. Yeah. Like, it, it, it was kind of too yeah, different. Yeah, it was. Singers. And I, you know, I... I I'm so glad that I, you know, because then it's interesting if you listen to, um, if you listen to the second Avalon record, the first Avalon record, I was still doing it, covering it, you know, yeah. um, second Avalon record, I got a little bit more comfortable. And yeah. by the time we did the third one in a different light, it was like there was this freedom, yeah. you know, vocally still didn't know what I was doing. I still yeah. didn't know why, but yeah. Okay. 11 years, 10 albums. <laughs> Oh, Lord, you're not going to do this, are you? <laughs> Three of them are gold records. 21, 21 freaking number one songs. <laughs> oh, jeez. Are we going to seriously do accolades right 21 now? 21 number songs. Recipients of six Dove Awards, one American Music Award, and three-time Grammy nominees. Yeah, never won a Grammy. It doesn't matter. It like, kind of does a little. You were recognized by the... I know. That's cool. I just... It would be cool to have one just because they're cool. You know, yeah. like... So I could tell my daughter, look, Daddy was cool at one point, you know. But. Like, in the back of your head, was this the dream you'd... Maybe it been over Yeah, before. it was. There was a season where I was like, I've made it. Yeah. You know, and that's, what a horrible thing to say. But, but, but at the time, again, young, stupid, really hadn't figured out anything. All I knew was I got a record deal and I had made it. And it's so funny just to tell you how um, I, when I was in Truth, you know, and I found out, you know, Jana called me. Jana was, Jana left first. They pursued Jana and they, they were looking for a guy and they, they were interested in me. But Jana had told them that I was too committed to Roger, which I was. I was very committed because, you know, he brought me back and he was paying me well yeah. for Roger. That's a big deal. Mm. You know, because the you know, truth didn't make a lot of money. And so, um, you know, Jana called me and she goes, hey, would you be interested in doing this with me? And I said, well, yeah, but what about Roger? And she goes, I don't know. Let's just keep it under wraps for now. I'm going to, on the next day off, I'm going to fly you to Nashville. And so I said, okay. So I flew to Nashville, and that's when I met. That's when I went to Sparrow and was right. surrounded by all those things. And I was like, "I'm gonna be rich," you know. That's what you think. <laughs> I'm so stupid, but I didn't know. I was so dumb, and uh, you know, got and then auditioned, met the rest of the group, and a couple weeks later, I was in a. I'll never forget this as long as I live. I was in a DoubleTree hotel in Kansas City, Missouri, with Brad Parsley. Brad and I were roommates, and it was a day <clears> off. And Jana was like, do you know where you're... She called me the day before, or I called her the day before, and I was like, do you know, you know, and this again, bef- no, I think, did we have cell phones at this point? I don't know. I might have had a cell phone. I can't remember how they found me, but I just remember being in the hotel room and getting a... No, they, he called the hotel, and because um, Jana knew where we were. And so Brant, Grant Cunningham called, and it was like 8 o'clock in the morning. And I was like, hello. And he said, hey, Jody, it's Grant Cunningham from Sparrow Records. How are you? And I said, I'm good. What's going on? I was like, wake up. He said, um, well, I just have good news. I just want to call and invite you to be a part of the Sparrow Records family and see if you want to, you know, be a part of Avalon with us. And and I just remember, I was like, I, I was trying to be so cool. I was like, sure, yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, man, that's great. Thanks. And I heard the phone. I was like, <laughs> you know, I was so excited. I think I jumped on the bed. And Brad, and Grant, I mean, uh, Brad was in there with me and he was, we had a great time. And, you know, then I had to tell Roger. Yeah. And that was a whole other thing. Yeah. 
He was not thrilled. Really? Yeah. You know, Roger had this thing where... Was it because he was losing both of y'all? Well, he lost Janet. He lost his one group. His one group was falling apart. And that was... You know, he had accountability to integrity. He was told... He told them he'd keep it together. And and I understand that now. And, you know, and in some ways I kind of look back on it and go, you know, I should have honored probably that commitment for a little bit longer. So I'm sorry that I didn't. But... um, Mm -hmm. You know, I saw an opportunity. I took it again. I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. And so he and I got into it a little bit, and he wasn't mad, but it just, we we were in Memphis, Tennessee, and Sparrow was flying me to Nashville. It was a day off, and then we were in Memphis at the Big Baptist Church. I forget what it's called. And um, he was going to audition people for my spot that day. And so after I did the big showcase in Nashville, and everybody was like, Avalon, you're great. Yeah, we love you. And I was on this big high and I flew back to Memphis and walked in, and he was auditioning people for my spot. And uh, I was road manager, and so I just did my road manager duties, just jumped right back in and, and um, was in the back of the bus. And he was like, I don't think you understand the predicament you've put me in. <laughs> and he was, he was so upset, and we had words, and I, you know, I probably said some stuff I shouldn't say. And to this day, I'm very, very grateful to him, and he has never, ever, ever cast me aside of all the people in my life that, you know, when I left Avalon, even people just stopped calling, you know, I was like, I sort of felt like, okay, I made your money. Now I'm, you're done with me kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Roger Breland's never done that. He's always looked out for me. And yeah. I've, I've always appreciated that. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, you know, until you own your own business, you know, you don't really understand people like that. Yeah. And then once you get in the throes of owning your own company and having to deal with all that stuff, then yeah. you understand like, like why you know especially owning a group on the road like oh I can't imagine and he did it for so long keeping the bus running keeping everybody fed and that bus I mean we had we I rode on two different truth buses I was there when they bought the second one the white MCI and I mean it's just always something like always a transmission or some belt or tires or brakes always and and then we had a bus accident while I was out there too and that was a whole other story anyway so you're essentially famous with Avalon no. You, you guys were. I mean, you guys were a big I deal. mean, Christian music maybe. I think as far as Christian music is concerned, you know, maybe we reached a place where we couldn't go much higher. As right. Sure, you weren't in sync or, you know, well, whatever yeah. it is. You know, but, but in, in our little world. Yeah. I mean, I would go places like Dallas-Fort Worth and Chicago and stuff and people would recognize me. Yeah. And that was weird. Yeah. You know, I remember being in line at a, <laughs> going to see Beauty and the Beast on Broadway in New York City and the people behind me whispering, that's Jody. And I, and I just thought, that's surreal. Like, yeah. it was weird. And then all of a sudden, I was like, oh, no. You know, because you start to you? think. A little bit. It didn't bother me at first. At first, it was like fed my ego. Yeah. But then the longer, it, the more it started to happen, the more I thought, oh, my gosh, this is a lot of accountability. Mm-hmm. I'm responsible for this. Yeah. And what things have I done that people have seen? And I just wasn't thinking. I mean, that's good. I mean, because, like, some people would... Just let it go to their heads. And... Yeah, I don't think now. I mean, I, you know, I think about the people that I know and love that are in Christian music now that are like saints compared yeah. to me. And I'm just like, I was, I just was not a good steward of what I was given Yeah. at all. Yeah. And I loved it and I had a great time and I'm very grateful for it. And thankfully, you know, not to get over spiritual, but the word of God does not return void and he uses us despite us. But, um. Yeah, I just, uh, going back now, I would do things differently if yeah. I could. I was so, that that's where a kind of a culmination of just talking about I didn't know what I was doing, I didn't know what I was doing, I just did what I knew. 
you know, yeah. um, to my detriment. I think it just got to, it, it caught up with me yeah. to the point where I was like, I was just doing what I knew and I didn't realize what was at stake, mm. you know, at that point. Yeah. Um, it's one thing when you're doing it in college, in a college group. It's another thing when you're doing it in a group like Truth where it's somewhat semi-professional, but it's still, but then all of a sudden you're in front of millions of people yeah. and people know your name and they recognize your face and, and you just, and I just didn't think about stuff. I yeah. just, I wasn't. Well, the the first thing is, is we didn't have any accountability at all, you know, and that and I I can blame that on everybody else, but it's our fault. We didn't put, we didn't set it up. It wasn't a priority back then. I think it's I think it is more so now, yeah. but back then it wasn't. It was about selling records. It was about you know I know the record companies were competing constantly competing to try to impress their parent labels because all of them at that point had been bought up by EMI or Sony or you know bigger conglomerates. And so there was always this drive and this push to impress those people and say, well, Christian is just as substantial. And you, you'll see, we'll make money. Yeah. And they did for a while. I mean, I was in the glory days of Christian music. Yeah. Man. But I just, didn't, I just didn't pay attention. I didn't mm. pay attention to it. And, and so going back, I would sometimes I've thought, and you can't do that, but I definitely have daydreams sometimes. I thought, man, if I could go back to, to 1996 and... Yeah replay some of those five or six years of the glory days mm. I would do some things so different taking what I know now yeah. you know but anyway yeah I mean but it's cool that you can look back on it and at least learn and grow yeah, yeah. well I mean if you don't if you can't go through crap in your life and not change or grow from it then what's the point in yeah. it I mean it's just just to hurt you I, I just don't think that's how God is mm. you know and my whole principle, my whole foundation for life right now is um, the whole God wants me to be happy principle that you hear so much now. I have so many friends who are, you know, living outside of the church, whether they're, I don't know, wherever, wherever they are in their life, their whole thing is like, well, doesn't, God wants me to be happy, doesn't he? I mean, that's what we're created for, right? To, 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 to be on this earth and to be happy. And I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> and, and it's taken me a long time to get to that place. And I'm not saying that out of any kind of misery because I'm really not miserable now. As a matter of fact, I was sitting here talking to you. I was thinking, how great is this that I get to do this again? Mm. I'm just very happy. But I think the reason why is because it's an emotional and spiritual byproduct of where my heart is now. Yeah. And that you know, God created us with a specific purpose in mind to fulfill His plan and to give Him glory and to be what He's called us to be. And... So we do that with our whole hearts. It becomes our first priority. And if that is truly the case, then I think happiness is a byproduct of that. Mm. But I don't think ultimately he's a, he's he cares about our happiness. Yeah. I mean, I think he does care, but that's not his first priority. Yeah. And I think sometimes he's like, you're not you're not getting it, you know. I want you to be happy, sure, but you got to serve me first. You got to do what I've created you to do first. Yeah. And be who I've created you to be. Quit belly aching about what's gone wrong in your life, which I could. I've, I've had a lot go wrong in my life. I've had a lot of crappy things done to me. I've done a lot of crappy things to people. And I could sit all day long and whine about that, but it's like it's taking away from the time that I have to do what I have to do right. while I'm here. Yeah. And I could die tomorrow. And so I just need to do whatever I can. Yeah. And that makes me happy. Yeah. It's like all of a sudden I'm like, ah, oh, cool. Yeah. Purpose. Yeah, I mean, it's like you're embracing... You know, obviously God, but like what you were really created for, and in that, that's where you really find happiness, rather than trying to create happiness. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, uh, like you're living what you were designed for. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah. And all the nuts and bolts are working. 
Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, they are. I mean, there's obviously... Some days they need oil. Sure, well, especially the older you get. I mean, I <laughs> take two big pills of oil every day. But, you know, um, yeah, the older you get, the more you realize, I'm flawed. I'm not perfect. I, I, I wish I were. You know, there are mornings I wake up and I'm like, man, I just wish I wouldn't feel this way or mm-hmm. I wish I wouldn't be this mad at somebody or I wish I wouldn't. But in the same respect, it's like I I just can't reiterate enough how real the fact has become that, you know, and I heard a pastor say this when I was like 10 years old. You know, when you go to those revivals, the pastor said, the ground is level at the cross. You ever heard that expression? Yeah. And I never knew what that meant. And, you know, so many churches, and I talked to somebody yesterday on the phone who, a friend of mine who works at a huge mega church in Texas, and um, and he was talking about all these stipulations that are on the people that work there and how much how much stress they live under, and they're so afraid to do anything wrong with for fear of being outcast. And I'm just like, who wants to live like that? And I don't want to go to your church. No. I, I, I don't, I, because if you think for one second that I'm going to look at your pastor and think that he's above reproach, you're crazy. And it just is a gross feeling. No. Nobody wants to live under the oppression that Christianity has created. Because that God didn't create that, you know. I mean, obviously God said, be holy as I am holy. He wants you to pursue holiness. But I don't think he thinks for one second that we're going to actually achieve that or else he wouldn't have sent his son right. to cover us, you right. know. Mm-hmm. He would have said, hey, I know some of you can do it, so I'm not going to really worry about that. Get there. That's your responsibility. Get there. It's like, no, you need help. Yeah. And so uh, the ground truly is level at the cross. And, and I always... You know, I used to sit around and wait and think, oh, I'm going to meet somebody and they're going to look at me and tell me I did this to them or I did that to them or they heard something. or, And now I'm just like, I hope I meet somebody that says I did this, that, you know. So I can say, A, hey, I'm sorry, and B, you know, what What about you? What, what are some things that you think you've done that you might need to go and fix, Yeah. you know? Do you think, like, so you're leaving Avalon, did it have anything to do with like decisions you made or like what, what was the cause? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that, well, I mean, ultimately I have heart disease and that was the main reason why I left. I'd say that was 90% of it, but my marriage was in shambles. My family was falling apart. You know, my wife worked for Sony, um, and, uh, Provident at the time. And she was the creative director over there. And so we were two ships passing in the night, never saw each other, never spent time together. Then we had a baby. Somehow along the way, we managed to have a child. I mean, you know how that works uh, at some point. And, um, and so my daughter was one and when I left Avalon. And my wife left her job, you know, and we just did what we could. We're like, you know, I don't know how we're going to fix this, but we're going to try. Mm. And so we left the music industry behind and, and just worked on our life and our marriage. Yeah. And, you know, it's not perfect. No marriage is perfect, but we're still here. Yeah. It's 18 years of marriage and we're still here. So uh, I'm grateful to her. I'm grateful to her for just her heart and her desire to make it work. And I'm grateful that God gave me patience and, and the ability to forgive and to move past some things. Yeah. And, you know, Was that hard? I mean, like, cause you, you're talking about, you know, you're, de- you're designed mm-hmm. quote unquote to be this singer. Yeah. And then you guys completely, you know, have to, somewhat turn your back on everything yeah. you'd built. Yeah. Uh, you know? Well, you know, it's interesting because sometimes it's I'm so ambivalent to the whole thing, you know, because sometimes how he created me to be, I'm such a right-brained, crybaby, emotional wreck mm-hmm. sometimes. 
and uh, but it's what makes me really good I think at what I do yeah. you know and so it's the thorn that I just want to pull from me sometimes, but yet it's the thing that I think connects with people mm-hmm. when somebody else won't. It, you know, a pastor can get up all day long and scream scripture verses at people. I can get up and sing one verse of Amazing Grace and people fall apart. Yeah. And the reason is why it has nothing to do with me. Nothing. I, and that's going to sound like arrogance, but I know it's Christ in me. Mm-hmm. I know it's the fact that he's moving through me and he's given me this vulnerability Um. And I don't, I don't, I don't know. So I'm grateful for that. But in the same respect, it makes me very sensitive to life, mm. and very sensitive to the stimuli and the people and the experiences around me. And um, you and I have talked about this in the past. But you know, leaving Avalon and going and working behind a desk at a corporate place. I remember the first day I went to work there. How long was that? After about three weeks after. Okay. And I had to get a job, yeah. I mean, I got, you know, they were, Avalon, I was part owner in Avalon, so they were gracious enough to to buy my stocks back from me. And, you know, it wasn't, Avalon wasn't making the kind of money that it had been about six years prior, so it was different. But they were very generous, and so I had a little bit in the bank, and, um, but I had to work. We had, we had no, you know, health care, and we had a two-year-old. So kids change everything, which is kind of like right now. We have no health care. <laughs> Thanks, Obama. Affordable health care is fantastic. I don't know who can afford it, but it's fantastic. Did you hear? Did you hear him? Was that me? Or oh, that was you. No, that was me. That I was like, me. I thought it was Pedro again, or whatever his name is. Pedro's freaking me out. Yeah, no, Pedro's up there. So anyway, um, I remember looking in the mirror at the in the restroom of the place where I worked and just thinking, this is my life now. It's done. Yeah. And it was like, that's all it took for me just to be like, okay, suck it up. This is where you're coming to work for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And I never, ever in the wildest dreams thought I would be here again. Yeah. You know? Was and that hard? Oh, it, was, I mean, it devastated for, me. It yeah. destroyed me. And it was nobody's fault but my own. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I couldn't help the heart disease. And I was planning on leaving Avalon anyway in September of 2007 because of my heart. And then stuff just kind of fell apart with my marriage and everything became very dramatic. And, you know, and my counselor and my doctor and everybody was like, you need to make a decision. You need to change your life right now. Right now. So the doctor was advising you. Oh, yeah. Uh, When I got diagnosed, he's like, you can't keep doing what you're doing. There's no way. Now, I'm not with that doctor anymore. I'm with a different doctor now. And he's a completely different doctor. And I've been through a lot since then. Sorry. Coffee. And so... You know, um, yeah, it was it was devastating. So tell so like, explain like it's I'm, I've got it right here hypertrophic card. What is hypertrophic cardiomyopathy? Oh my gosh! Basically, what that means is an enlarged heart. Okay. Um, but I have a genetic abnormality also on top of that, which I they think the genetic abnormality caused the hypertrophism. Hmm. It's a shortened version of it. Um, but my muscle, my muscle density dies off, like it um, literally dies. I mean, you know. And uh, so I, when I got diagnosed in 2006, I had lost 19% of my heart muscle function. Wow. And, uh, you know, didn't really understand what, it was, what was going on. And, and my grandmother had had hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, and it's a genetic disease. But she passed along the abnormality to me as mm. well. And so my dad didn't have it, but I got it. All right. And, uh, you know, at that point, I just, I, I noticed that it was getting harder for me to breathe. And even sitting here, I have to concentrate on breathing mm-hmm. and not, you know, gasping. Yeah. Um, 
but it was getting harder for me to breathe, and I just thought I was getting fat and out of shape, you know. But um, yeah, so that's that. That was a that was a wake up call. But but I look at it now as God did it to me on purpose because mm. He needed a way to bring me to my knees. He needed a way to shut me up mm. so that I could get out of the way and He could work. Because yeah. I was just going ninety to nothing, destroying my life, you know making bad decisions, doing bad things, taking drugs, doing, you know, all kinds of stuff, wow. like doing stupid stuff, drinking, all sorts of things I'm just not proud of, you know, but it's the truth. It doesn't change it. And so I think God was like, okay, well then here's heart disease yeah. because it, this is the wall that you're going to hit. And it did. I hit a wall. Was it the lack of accountability? Because we're human. Yeah, it, it is a definite lack of accountability. I mean, there like, there well, was what, nobody in my life. People tried to. I mean, what, was pushing, what do you feel like was pushing you in a, in a direction you feel like was unhealthy? Like, what? Well, I, I will say this. There was, a, there was a lot of pressure that people don't realize. I think people from the outside looking in thought, oh, well, that's Avalon. You know, they have money. Yeah. I mean, I didn't make a lot of money with Avalon. You know, in comparison, I mean, there are people that be like, oh, my gosh, I'd love to make that salary. But... Yeah. I didn't make as much as people think. I didn't make like $10,000 a month or something. It wasn't like that. And, um, you know, we we had 21 number one songs, but then there was always that pressure to get 22, mm-hmm. and it never happened, yeah. you know? And we had 21 number one songs while I was still there. So they're like, all right, when's 22 going to happen? And radio changed. You know, iTunes started doing what they're doing. The internet started cropping up. Sales changed everything. And... The pressure for us to stay on top was still there, and it wasn't happening. And we did, we threw everything at the fire to try to see if it would burn, and stuff just wasn't working. Yeah. And um, the darlings, we were the darlings of Christian radio, no more, you know. And uh, there was a lot of pressure. We had a bus, we had staff, we had management, we had financial manager, we had booking, we had, there was all these people that we had to pay every month, mm-hmm. and a big nut to crack. And Jana and I were the owners. And it was stressful. Yeah. And I would get on the bus. I would get on the bus with Avalon, and I would put my headphones on. I'd sit in the corner of the, the dinette, the little dinette thing in the corner. And I'd watch movies and eat Reese's Peanut Butter Cups and not talk to anybody. Yeah. Because I was so stressed out about it. And then, you know, I tend to, when I get in a dark place like that, just do stupid stuff. Again, no direction, just haphazard. You yeah. know, whatever comes, I'll sure. You know, I'll smoke it. Sure, I'll drink it, whatever. I didn't care. Yeah. And no, there wasn't accountability. And it wasn't that people in my life didn't try. It's just that I was so closed off to it that I just didn't care. Yeah. I'd be like, what's the point? Yeah. So the, the disease, was that the same thing that took your dad's life? No, it took my grandmother's life. Your grandmother. Okay. My dad, it, skipped, it skips a generation. Okay. So my daughter does not have it, but my daughter's children okay. will have it. Unless they come up with a cure. And I was part of a clinical trial at Vanderbilt for, for 12 months, six months, then off for six months. And then and it was a stem cell-based huh. clinical trial where they actually injected me with stem cells, tried to reanimate dead muscle tissue, all that stuff. And yeah. Uh, so, like, I guess her, were you aware that that's what took her life at the time? Not until after I got it. Okay. Because, you know, she died in the early, late 70s. And so they went back and found her medical files because right. my doctor's in Tampa, and he actually works at the same hospital where she passed away. Oh, wow. And so they were able to pull her medical files, and they found out that she had a hypertrophism too. And then there was blood work done, an abnormality that they found in the blood work that was documented. But So that adds pressure to you? Oh, yeah. 
I mean, that freak you out a little bit. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know. I, and I didn't know. And you know, they call what I have the silent killer. I mean, you think about, you hear about athletes and people who just pass, they just fall out dead on the field that they have what I have. Really? Because you can go, especially if you're in great physical shape, probably me not being in the best shape was the best thing that could ever happen to yeah. me because it helped me realize it. But you can be in great physical, like I look at you, you're a runner. Right. You know? But I've, I've you know, I follow these guys who are ultra athletes who are doing, you know, 40 plus miles of runs. And there's been, lately, there's been guys that that has happened yeah. where they just, they're down. Yeah. And it's and because they have that and they don't know it. Yeah. And so, you know, I, in some ways I'm glad I found out about it. But at the time it took the wind out of myself. I remember being, shortly after I left Avalon and my um, I have like people who are like family to me that live in California and her mother passed away and she asked if I would come sing at her funeral. So I went to sing at her funeral and I couldn't even, I could hardly even breathe to sing, huh. you know, I think I was singing like Grace I Faithfulness or something and yeah. I was just, you know, gasping for breath and it was difficult and, you know, I, I don't know, I just, that was another reason why I sat behind the desk and thought it was over. I'm just, you know, I thought... So it, it went, like it went from, uh, you know, out of control, Jody, to trying to maintain, trying to get control, but now it was like more out of fear kind of thing. It was. It there was a fear aspect to it. There was definitely a feeling of, I'm reaping what I sowed. Yeah. This is what I deserve, kind of thing. Yeah. And which can be an awful place to be in. Oh, it's horrible. It's horrible because you just then you start to look around, and well, you know, people stopped calling me. People like in the industry, my friends, people that used to call me all the time. You know, I had an everyday relationship with. It just stopped yeah. overnight. And, you know, I think because people didn't know what to do, you know, I mean, it wasn't because of how I left Avalon. I just think people thought, and some people seriously even thought I was dead. Like there were some people who thought, we heard you had heart disease and we thought that you were critically ill and, you know, so that's why we didn't call, you know, that kind of stuff. And, you know, it was, it was sort of, I I remember some days sitting behind that desk in my office with my door closed, just weeping because I thought, this is what I get. Yeah. I, I, everything I'm dealing with right now, I deserve it. And, you know, God's done with me. And I, and my quote that always went through my head was, he'll use the perfect people. He's not going to use me anymore. Hmm. And, um, yeah. And so that gradually led to me just sinking into, like, major depression. And then, like, I guess it's been a little over three years ago now when I got diagnosed with chronic, I mean, with uh, manic, not manic. Um, clinical. Clinical depression. Yeah. Thank you. I was like, Where's that word? Yeah, we'll get, to, we'll get to that in a sec. Okay. Did you did you sever, like walking away from you know your career? Like, did you sever all ties, or did people? No, I didn't really. Because no. I would figure that it would be so hard for you. That you and to be honest, like, I'm done. Like Sparrow, like they were nice. Like I, you know, I went back. I remember them saying, "Jody, you know, like can I use the Avalon name? Can I?" Say Jerry Bear from Avalon, and can I use that as marketing? All those things. And I remember Peter York and the people of Sparrow saying, of course, you can always, that is always, and this was after I had left. I went back and had a meeting, and they were like, you know, you were, you're great. And they were very kind. I just think it's not anything intentional. I just think life moves on, yeah. you know? It's like when you lose somebody that you love. Like I remember when my dad passed away, being just devastated and thinking the world should come to an end, sitting at a stoplight and people were walking across the the street laughing and I'm thinking how dare you my dad just died but it's like people's life goes on just because you're in crisis yeah. the rest of the world keeps moving yeah. and you either choose to move with it or you it destroys you so I didn't I didn't cut ties and 
you know, I stayed in contact with Jana and Greg and the Avalon people. The hardest part for me was, I think, hearing that when they got somebody to take my place, that he was asked one time at a concert, so how's Jody? Have you heard how he's feeling? And his response was, I don't even know Jody. I have no idea, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to think that that guy that came in and took the place of me, that I something I had built for 12 years, didn't even know who I was, yeah. you know. It's hard, like, you know, you know, I know a little bit about what you're talking about, sure. but like, not to the level that you guys experienced success-wise, but, like, it's hard because the music industry is very much like a bunch of entrepreneurs working together. Mm -hmm. So it do, it's not like working at a big company or at an office or something like that, and you you decide to leave the job. You know, yeah. It's like, it's very relationship-oriented and, and all this yeah. stuff. And so when you walk away, it, it's like all of a sudden, everybody that was your friends... You know, yeah. which I don't, you know, I don't want to use air quotes because that's, but in the same respect, there were specific people that were your buddy because you were selling records mm -hmm. and it was their job to be your friend. Yeah, you know, that's true. And, and when I left, they didn't call, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it was, and even regardless of the circumstances that were around why I left, heart disease, marital issues, whatever, it's like if you're truly somebody's friend, would you not call and say, hey, I'm just checking on you. Mm -hmm. How are you? You know, And I didn't get that from a lot of people. I didn't even get that from my manager, really. Um, and I, you know, we were extremely close. Yeah. So that was a challenge for me, um, and it contributed a lot to that. But again, I just chalked it up to, well, it's what I get. That's what I deserve, you know. So was this a positive move for your, your marriage? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But it had Absolutely. to have been... I yeah, I mean, we something. went through months of counseling and went through months of just rehabilitation as far as my heart and trying to figure out how to live with that and um, trying to find the right medications because I went through some crappy withdrawals from medications and different things. And so there was a lot of rebuilding that had to take place overall with that. Mm. But, you know, it ended up being the right thing. Yeah. You know, obviously God knew what he was doing. He was getting me out of a toxic situation and... So that he could have a rebuilding period because right. the last 10 years have been rebuilding. Was your daughter aware? I mean, how old was she? Oh, she was just, she was, she was two. two. Is that, okay, yeah, that's so, right. Yeah. yeah. She grew up with me being home, which was great. You know, only in the last couple of years have I started traveling again. And she's like, what's dad doing? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So depression settles in. Okay, you know, you mentioned you're, you're taking, you're trying different drugs and stuff. Like, I would imagine you were taking, how many years was it when you were? Uh, diagnosed with with heart clinical, disease cl clinical depression oh uh, uh, well it's let's see it's been nine years since I left Avalon so and it was it's three years ago is what we said yeah probably a little bit maybe almost four now okay yeah so, so you're, I would, did you how did you deal with depression like were you doing drugs not drug, drugs but like, I understand like pharmaceutical pharmaceutical yeah um, yeah I mean I went to you know the thing is is this is such a key component in where I am now uh, I went to, I was in that dark place of just like, I don't know what to do. And um, it got so bad for me, dude, that, and, you know, I don't mind talking about this and it's just part of it, but, and I'm sure people have been there. And I don't know if I even told you this, but I, I got to a place, you know, we go down to Florida. Everybody goes down to the Panhandle. It's kind of the thing to do when you live in Nashville. It's the beach to go right. to. And we have friends and family that have a house down there. And so we'll go down there and stay. And, um, I remember waking up in the middle of the night because I couldn't sleep. When you're depressed, you just I just can't sleep. And I opened my eyes and it was like three o'clock in the morning. And I just got up and put I was literally in my underwear and a tank top. Didn't even put my clothes on. 
and walked down the road to the beach and stood at the edge of the water and just thought, I'll keep walking. And I had a really good life insurance policy, said my family will be taken care of. My problems will be gone. Their problems will be gone because I know that I'm a hassle. And it'll be done, you know? And I was going to do that. I mean, I was standing there with the water lapping at my feet. And, um, you know, something inside me said, no, don't do it, you know? And I must have stood there for probably an hour and just stared at the water. It was a clear night. It was a little cool. And um, there were no, there was, it was pitch black, but there were stars, you know? And I was looking up at the stars and I remember thinking, okay, something bigger is going on here. There's no way, you know, being close to water for me in that kind of expanse, it, it puts life in perspective. It's just, you know, there's something bigger than all of us. And um, and it wasn't shortly after that where I was like, I gotta, I gotta get some help. Yeah. I, I gotta go do something. It's, this is dark and it's killing me. And uh, that was a scary moment for me that I had gotten that low. I mean, somebody, some, you know, for people who haven't, I think everybody on some level deals with depressions. You know, like sometimes it goes... Life is depressing. I mean, you know, (laughs) you have to find... Don't worry about that cover, by the way. Is that what this is? Yeah, it's like a slip cover. Just take it off. Sorry, my wife is slip cover. It's all good. Um, But uh, it's beautiful underneath, isn't it? That bright yellow. (laughs) Gross. Um, Yeah, life is depressing. You know? And so, of course, everybody, you deal with death, you're depressed. You deal with, you know, losing a job, depression, or, you know, whatever. Divorce, depression... Uh, relationships falling apart, depression, you know, that stuff. But clinical depression is different. Yeah. It's, it's, um, and, you know, I, I challenge any Christian who hasn't dealt with it to say something because I, you know, I used to be that person. I was like, well, it, depression, is that a real thing, you know, until you can't get a grab, you can't get a grip or a grasp on life. You, yeah. And I wanted to badly. And, you know, it's, it's like, it's like you're hanging from, you're hanging from the roof of a large building, watching life go by around you, and you see things that you want, you're reaching out to try to grab them, and you just can't. Mm-hmm. Everything is just out of reach. And people go and leave and turn the lights off and leave you hanging there, and you're just, you just have no control. Yeah. And it's, it, it's the most miserable thing that I've ever dealt with. And I've gone through some stuff. And I think heart disease plays a role in it. People who have heart disease traditionally are depressed anyway, so I think it played a part in it. But I think depression was the culmination of years of just dysfunction and lack of focus in yeah. my life. Was it, what, what do you, I mean, like, I guess that's the question is like, what do you think sort of, was it, do you think it was just years of stuff building up oh, or yeah. was it you leaving the road and no, was it was years of things it? building up? Yeah. I mean, there were things even before I ever got an Avalon, things that, you know, losing my dad, relationships that I had been in, situations that at home with my family, with not with this family, with my real family, with my mom and dad, and you know, things that had happened there, and um, just a million things. And you know, I think we all are just our souls are a storage chest of just stuff. Mm. And I think sometimes we put so much stuff in there that it may be negative, and we just pack it down and we try not to deal with it. And when your life when you're when you're sort of faced with mortality and being sick like I was mm. all of that stuff it's like that chest opens up and stuff just starts to flow out and you're like man I, I don't have control over anything I don't I can't control my life am I in control at all is anybody in control yeah. and you know Christians can say all day long that's because your faith is not strong mm-hmm. enough and I'm just like bite me you know 
I've grown around or grown up around faith my whole life. You know, I've read the Bible my whole life. I've known who Jesus was my whole life. This was darkness. This was something else. And I know that Jesus is ultimately my source. I know that Christ is my source and that he can help us through anything. Mm-hmm. But you have to be able to kind of get to him, you know, a little bit. You have to mentally want to accept that and to grasp him. And I just, I couldn't even get there. Yeah. It was dark. I mean, people that don't, I was going to say, like, I don't, people that are listening that may not understand depression may be like, maybe tempted to say, Jody, aren't you just a little like emotional, like dramatic, dramatic. Yeah. And it's like, I don't again, think... I say bite me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've told you, um, I mean, I've, I've, I've dealt with depression, but my mother who I adore is clinically depressed yeah. and has been most of her life. And, I and it think, does tend to run in the family too. Well, I, mean, I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and goes, no. I really want things to suck for me. You no, know I, mean? I really want to make all not. these, you know, and so like, that's where, that's, I think when I started to look at it from that perspective, where is where I was able to have more like grace and love for anybody that deals with that. And especially when I started to deal with it myself, because it's like, nobody wants that. Okay. But let's backstep that even further. Aren't we supposed to have grace and love for everybody Regardless. anyway? Yeah. So screw what they're going through. Yeah. That's not even for you to even worry about. Right. Like I don't. I, that's the thing I don't understand. It's we get into this churches and, and churches and Christians in general get into this place of like they get a little touch of authority somewhere and they're like all of a sudden they're the they're the the uh, the expert on what people struggle with and it's like shut up. No, you're not. Yeah. You don't know. You don't know until you go through it yourself. So how about you just love? Right, because they're not going to want it. No one wants to hear somebody else say to them. No. Get over it, quit being dramatic. Yeah, well, it's like, okay, wait, until you get upset about something. Yeah. And, so, and there'll be people that say, well, I don't really get upset about things. I don't let things bother me. It's like, well, <laughs> not yet. Wait wait till that one thing does. Yeah. There's something. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, maybe I am a feeling person. Maybe it's the kind of thing where there there are a lot of emotions going on inside me. I'm not going to apologize for that. Yeah. That's how I am. Yeah. And in the same respect, I, I try to control. I am a control person. You know, I... I try to control what I eat. I try to control what I see. I try to, you know, all those things. But when stuff starts to spiral out of control and you you can't fix it, you know, and that's where I was. So what did you, what, what, when you kind of came to this, like, oh, holy crap, what am I doing? What's, <laughs> did you, how did you start, how did you tackle it? Like what? Well, it, it really, my wife was like, you got to go get help, mm. you know. And, and again, we found out, we sort of found ourselves in an ultimatum kind of place where she's like, look, I can't, I don't know what else to do for you. And I was, it, this wasn't even, we didn't argue or anything. I was just turned off, yeah. turned off, like no emotion, nothing. And I remember one Christmas, Christmas two years ago, three years ago, no, two years ago, um, where I just was, I would stare at the Christmas tree. I'd sit and stare at the tree. And people would ask me questions and I wouldn't even hear them, you know, and it, it was just, it was like there was a physical, truly a physical wall built between me and everybody else. Yeah. And um, and it was at that point when I noticed, it was really my daughter because I noticed my daughter having fun and being joyful at Christmas. And even her smile didn't light me up like it usually did yeah. and how she was. And so at that point, I'm like, I got, I got to go do something. I'm miserable. And so I reached out to a mutual friend who recommended someone that I go see and I'm like I want him to be a Christian I don't want to go to no guru who's going to like chant over me I want him to be foundationally Christian but I want them to be scientific too because I need to know I need to know what's going on in here chemically 
And so I, they sent, he sent me to a, doc, a physician who will remain nameless. But, um, and I went to this physician probably about 12 times. The first time I went, I'm like, I need help. I need a pill. I need something. And he's like, hold on there, Tano. <laughs> you know, we got, we got some things we got to talk through first. And, and me having heart disease and medication I took, it made it very difficult because there's not a lot of things I could take. And so um, this is a whole chapter. I mean, like this stuff is so interesting to me, but I don't want to, I don't, am I talking too much? No, you're great. Okay. So this doctor, you know, is like, look, I'm a Christian. You need to know I'm Christian based. Um, I went to seminary, blah, 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 all this stuff. But he goes, I started to realize, and this is what he said to me the first day. And this is how I knew this was the guy. He said, I started to realize that there are some people that have grown up in church their whole life and they know the Bible backwards and forwards. They don't need to hear another scripture verse. They need to hear practical advice and medicinal advice on how they can get better because I've learned in my studies. Now, he's a doctor. He's a PhD, okay? I've learned that depression is not, is not a mental, it's a physical disorder. And it is. It is a serotonin issue. Hmm. You know, my body does not produce the amount of serotonin necessary for me to combat depression. Hmm. And so I have to take a serotonin reuptake inhibitor, you know what I mean, or whatever. And so um, I was like, okay, this is good. You know, this guy's giving me some practical advice here. And so he had a table full of different articles. Like he had a wooden table in his office. I would sit on his couch, typical posture. But I didn't lay down. I would sit down, but it had a cushion. I always hold the cushion in front of me. And there's this table, and there was like a uh, um, a coffee cup, um, dot, these like metal dice, like these weird-looking dice, uh, a little bonsai like tree thing with a rake, and you could rake the you know you rake the sand around it. The bean, you know what the bean is that's in Chicago? It's a big chrome yeah, yeah. bean. Yeah. Well, he had a little version of that, a chrome bean, heavy paperweight that sat there, and it was chrome and shiny. And then he had um, a little box, like a cube, a little cube thing that was like wooden and it was like a puzzle. And so all those things were there for a reason. I didn't know that at the time. And so I came back, you know, he, I came back in a couple more times before he would prescribe anything to me. And he had to do some research to find out what I could take with my heart disease and, you know, chemical and all that stuff. So he gave me this medication that's actually for schizophrenic patients. I promise I don't have a dual personality. But um, it was the only, it was an antidepressant they used for schizophrenic patients because it was the only one that would work chemically. With And he said, I think it's fine. We'll just give you obviously the minimal dosage. And I and I would take the minimal dosage, but I would take half of that. Um, and it was, it really was a godsend for me because within probably two weeks of me taking it, I noticed a marked difference. Everybody did. I mean, I was conversational. I was even a little bit funny, which... I'm always sarcastic and try to be witty. And so that's why depression was so obvious with me because I was not. <laughs> I was not sarcastic. It's like, is that good or bad? Yeah. Well, I don't know. So we were like, mm, can we take him off that medicine? But every time I would go in, I would gravitate towards the bean, the shiny bean, you know? And while I was talking, I would polish that bean with my fingers and I would like rub it on my shirt. I just wasn't thinking, you know, sort of like what I do with the face of my phone. Yeah. Like I'm always polishing my phone with my pants or, you know, and I would put it back. And so one of the last times that I went in there, it was a time before the last time I went in there. Um, he said, Hey, I'll be right back. I've, 
I've got a, something I've got to do. And I said, okay. And so I looked down at this bean and it was filthy. I mean, it looked like somebody had the sweatiest, dirtiest hands ever had been all over it. And I was like, oh, I, gotta, I gotta fix that. So I picked it up and I polished it and put it back. And he came back in like probably 10 minutes later and he started laughing. And I said, what are you laughing at? He goes, you cleaned the bean. And I said, what? And he goes, you cleaned the bean. He goes, every time you're here, you clean the bean. And he goes, that's, you have control issues. You have, you don't like a mess. You don't like things to be out of, out of control. And so you polish them and try to make them perfect. And it's like, they're always going to get dirty again. And I'm like, yeah, they are. He goes, that bean will be fingerprinted again when the next person comes in. He goes, is that going to bother you when you leave? And I said, no, I don't have OCD or anything, but I do like for things to appear to be perfect. And he goes, but they're never going to be. And the key here for me with this whole thing is when I was struggling and when I first went in, and, and I, I wanted to say this before, but I wanted to get to the bean story because that was a big part of my struggle was knowing that things are not always going to be perfect. And my expectation of perfection is the thing that's imperfect. Mm. Um, when I first went in, I was in tears. I mean, I just was, I had nothing left. And I told him about what happened at the beach and how that scared me and then how I didn't recognize joy in my own kid and, and in my wife and I couldn't function and I was just weeping. And he said, let me tell you something. You're, you, the first thing I'm going to ask you to do is your only responsibility right now. And he, and he actually called and told my wife that he said this too. He said, your only responsibility right now is to keep breathing. That's it. He goes, you have nothing else to worry about. Keep breathing. That's the first step. Wake up in the morning. If you wake up, take one breath after another. Don't give up. You know, basically he's saying, don't kill yourself. Don't yeah. do anything stupid. Keep breathing. And then once you keep breathing, step out of bed and take one step at a time. And once you've figured out how to take the next step, then, and that's how it was for me. It was like, I'd get up in the morning before medication or any of that stuff. And I would take a breath and I'd be like, okay, that's one. And then eventually I would get out of bed, I'd walk and I'd come in here and I'd see my daughter and I'd be like, okay, I've got my breath. I've got my steps. I've got my daughter. Mm. I've got my wife, you know. And it, and for a while, it was that simple. It was that kind of thing. And then once I took the medication, it was like, you know, a light turned on. And I was like, oh, and I've got my life, and I've got this, and I could have died. And, you know, I even, I even still have my voice. I can still sing, yeah. you know. And I started traveling full-time with Benny Hinn. And, uh, so it's like you start appreci appreciating the very little moments yeah. you were... Overlooking, yeah, it was it was interesting how depression helped me realize that, yeah. you know, and it helped me realize just how dependent I am on a God that I didn't see or understand, yeah. you know, or didn't really even care much about until recently. Did you read Melissa Green reposted a blog on depression last year? I think. Yes, I read that. The how it can be your friend. Yeah. Do you do you agree with that? I do now. Mm. I think yeah, I would when, imagine you, the time. when you're in the throes of it, it's like you don't understand it. And you just want to die. You yeah. Know? But now I see it as my friend. I think depression was the final turning point for me to get mm. where I am now. For somebody to look at me and say, "Keep breathing," and to break life down to that kind of fundamental 
basic, mm-hmm. you know, the first thing we do when we come out of our mother's womb is we they spank us so we'll breathe. Yeah. And that's where I was. I was like, okay, breath, mm-hmm. breath number one. Yeah. And, um, you know, and then I started traveling with Benny, and, you know, Benny Hen's a great guy. He's crazy. He's weird. He's eccentric. <laughs> he's awesome. You know, all those things. He's everything you think and, and most of the things you don't. So, you know, I'm not here to defend or, or promote Benny Hen Ministries except to say that he took a chance on me and let me sing with him and travel with him and do worship for him. And It was exhausting and exhilarating, and I went places. You know, my passport was so full I had to add, pay, add pages, you know, it was that kind of thing. What, when, uh... When did, how long ago was that when you started that? Uh, right, right, right at the uh, beginning of my depression, I started traveling with him. Okay. You know. Yeah. So. Was that good for you? It ended up being great for me, yeah. At first, I was Because you had not been like, singing at all. No. For how many years? It? How many was that? Uh, seven years. You would stop singing for seven years? Yeah. I'd sing it. I'd, I'd lead worship every once in a while at Bethel World Outreach, but yeah. that's it. You know, and that's Imprint Wood. But no, I didn't travel. I didn't sing or do anything. That's the most bizarre. I know. And that's the thing, too, is like, well, we'll get to that in a minute, but, you know, I didn't. And Roger Breland called me in the throes <laughs> of, of depression, and, and I see it, it's like, I see that JRB come up on my phone, and I'm like, uh, no. And um, he's like, Jody, it's JRB. I'm like, duh. And he said, can you be in Uganda by Friday? And it was Wednesday. And I was like, is that even possible, to be in Uganda by a Friday? And I was in the throes of the depression at this point. Um, and I went and I sang and wasn't anything eventful. You know, just flew halfway across the country and back. But it was the beginning of something yeah. substantial. And I didn't realize it at the time. I just thought, I'm going out there and I'm singing for this wacky ministry and this crazy man that blows on people and they fall over and I'm Baptist. And even the first two or three events, I would literally be the only person on stage still standing surrounded by thousands of people falling and I would be saying there and he would just look at me and laugh but I swore I would never fall until it was legitimate until I really felt the Holy Spirit you know but I think God had to empty me out completely and all those years I thought all the difficult things I'd gone through the heart disease the difficulty with my marriage leaving Avalon struggling I thought all those things had emptied me out and and really the the thing that emptied me out was depression it literally took my soul Mm. and that's where I had to be it's powerful and it's and you look at it and you see I see God like okay now I'm gonna send you out with this crazy evangelist, and you're gonna you're gonna start seeing who I really am yeah. and, I'll, and I'll totally cry sorry, but um, you know I saw, and I I told you about the blind woman right, uh-huh. um, about yeah. a year into Benny Hinn, wait were you gonna ask a question? No, I was gonna say to share that though. Okay, I have to because yeah. it's pivotal. Yeah. Um, about a year, year and a half into Benny Hinn, I'd already gone to the psychologist and I was taking medication at this point. So uh, my rationale was back, you know. Um, we went to, we did an African tour where we did like South Africa, Ethiopia, uh, Equatorial Guinea, a few different places, rough places. Mm-hmm. We were in Equatorial Guinea and I didn't, up to this point I was just a platform person. I didn't sing, I didn't, I mean, I didn't pray for the people. I didn't go out in the audience. I was led on stage by security, led off stage by, it was very, you know, and his, most of his stuff in Africa, it's 10, 20, 30,000 people. I mean, it's crazy. And these people have nothing. I mean, they don't. I mean, I know you hear that, but they seriously, they have nothing but Jesus. They don't even have the shoes on their feet and most of them walk miles to get there. 
and it's in these soccer arenas. And, and so we were sitting, um, we were in Equatorial Guinea, which is a little island off the coast of Africa, and it's split in half. And the left side of it is like the wealthiest you could ever imagine, like mansions on the beach. And we stayed at this beautiful sofatel on the beach, and it was like, you know, first class. And then you go through this guard shack, and it's the poorest you could ever imagine on the other side. And um, the crusade was in the poor side, and we were staying in the wealthy side. And pastor, we were at lunch, and, and I was with lunch with a bunch of people. We always used to go to lunch together. It was a long table. All of his staff is security, and I'd always sit at the end with the musicians. And that day, he looked, he said, Jody. And I just kind of looked up. Anytime he called your name, you're like, yes, sir. He's like, I want you to pray for the sick tonight. And I said, okay. And in my mind, in my OCD keep it clean mine. I'm like, they're going to be dirty. Yeah. You know, my mind, I'm like, they're dirty and they're smelly. Uh, really? But, but I had reached a point in my life where I was like, I'm open to anything at this point. You know, I, I got to do it because I trust God, you know? And so I said, okay. He goes, you'll go with Jim, who is his right hand man, Jim scenario. He goes, Jim will help you. And Jim's like, I'll help you. You know, great guy. Jim was, Jim's done music for him for years. Mm. And then Jim does it, whatever else he asked, just a really obedient, godly man. Mm. And um, Jim's like, don't worry, I got you, you know. And so we went to this soccer arena three hours before the service ever started. And there's already probably 15,000 people there. And it's me and an interpreter and a security guy. The security guy's my buddy. And he's ex-Navy SEAL, roughneck. Yeah. Just, he, he doesn't take any crap off anybody. and He doesn't believe a word of any of this. He's just there for a job, you know. But he's my buddy. You know, and we'll go, we'll have a beer after service and hang out. And I love to hear stories about scuba diving at 3 a.m. and putting a bomb underneath a, you know, I mean, or just not a bomb, but, you know, they just tell their seal stories. So fascinated by it. I got to go scuba diving with them in Indonesia one time and it was like awesome. I was like, I felt like James Bond. <laughs> anyway, so we're, you know, we're um, standing there and we get there and the interpreter gets on the stage and says if anybody needs prayer because they're sick and you need God to heal you raise your hand well of course the entire place raises their hand so I'm like I don't even know where to start and so we walk into the audience and I pray for a couple of people and nothing happens and and I think in my mind I'm thinking well you know God's not gonna heal these people right away I mean he can heal them but whatever you know I'm very Baptist in that thinking sometimes and so, you know, because we're guilty of, if I could use a Roger Brelandism, praying for the sick and preparing for him to die. Yeah, you know? yeah. And we are. Not really believing. Yeah, we just, it's like, oh, God can do it, but I mean, he's not really going to, Yeah, you know. And so I prayed for one woman and she, through the interpreter, she said she had pain. Very stoic face, straight face, didn't move a muscle. And I said, do I mind if I put my hand on your shoulder and pray for you? And she was like, yes or no answers. Very cold eyes. I prayed for her, and then after I was done, she looked. I said, how do you feel? And she goes, the pain is gone. And I said, okay. I said, would you be willing to testify to that? You know, I, I didn't know what I was doing again. And she's like, yes. I was like, okay. So they escorted her over to where the testimonials were going to be. Well, cut to about four people in, and I see this beautiful African girl. Looks like Lupita Nongoyo, just mm. gorgeous face, you know. Filthy, but beautiful. Yeah. And I walk over to her, and through the interpreter, she says, I need you to pray for my grandmother. And as soon as she says grandmother, I look and see her grandmother sitting down next to her, probably in her mid-80s, with a white film over her eyes. And I'm like, oh, no. She's going to ask me to pray that her grandmama can see. 
And I, I just, in my mind, I'm like, I don't have that kind of faith. It's not, you know, it's not going to happen. And it's just doubt, 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 crap, 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 you know, American uh, religious nonsense, just blah, 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 you know, that's all I hear. And she's talking through the interpreter. I'm not even paying attention. I'm just like panicked, freaking out. What am I going to do? And I swear to you, and, and it's only happened maybe twice my whole life, I heard God say, this isn't about you. Seriously. Like I heard, it was like, have you ever pulled your back out and it like pops and you're like all of a sudden, ow, where yeah. did that come from? It was that same feeling. It's like, this isn't about you. Yeah. And I was just like, um, okay. Uh, do you mind? I just looked at her. I said, hi. Um, my name's Jody. How are you? And I said, would you ask your grandmother if she minds? Because, and I, and I didn't know what to do. I'm like, this is what Jesus did in the Bible, so I'll just do what Jesus did. And mind you, I know he can heal. I've seen stuff happen being with Benny, I, you know, but it's always in the back of your mind. You know, are they faking it? Is it real? Yeah. What's, you know? So I said, do you mind if I put my hands on your eyes and pray for you? And the old woman was like, no, that's fine. And so I reach up and I put my hands on her eyes. And again, I hear him say, this isn't about you. It, it, like literally like your dad would say it to you, not mean, but just very stern. stern yeah. This isn't about you. And so I put, and I, now listeners, I will weep telling this story. So just get over it. I cry every time I tell it. So I put my hands on her eyes and I hear that this isn't about you. And I say, Lord, this isn't about us. This is about you. You know, that same power that was given to the disciples in the Bible and that you used to heal the sick is available to us today. The same Holy Spirit is alive and well and I'm just asking God, show up, restore her sight. Do it. I believe you can. This isn't about me. This is about you. And I was weeping and crying yeah. and doing that. And so I pull my hands away, and of course nothing happens. And she, you know, she's just kind of opens her eyes, and there's still a white film there. And before I can even address anything, she drops her, f uh, sorry, she drops her face in her hands and starts to scream like, like blood-curdling scream. And I thought, well, I've hurt this one. I've killed this woman. You know, that's what I'm thinking. And she's screaming ah! with her hands in her eyes and she's shaking her hands and like beating her eyes like this. You know, you can't see me. It's radio or whatever. But she's smacking her eyes and she's screaming in her hands. And everybody's freaking out. You know, the security guy is like all bowed up because he thinks she's getting ready to go like, you know, bat crap crazy on us and... And she, she takes her hands away and she looks up at the sky and opens her eyes like, I don't know, like she almost sees something and they're wide. And I saw the white film that was over her eyes like a, go down a drain in her pupils, like mm -hmm. just disappear into her pupils. And she started to blink and her eyes were like a crystal blue, like almost like your eyes, mm -hmm. but a little bit darker. And we're, and we're all just sitting, I'm sitting there watching this happen and every hair on my body is standing up. Every, I'm so, I can't move. Yeah. And she turns and she grabs the face of her granddaughter and she starts to feel her face. And she says, they speak French, but she says, I can see, I can see, I see her face. And I look at Brad, the security guy, and he's weeping. Yeah. And... I just, I didn't know what to say. Like, I just literally turned around and walked away. I didn't say anything to her or anything. They were embracing it. And, and, you know, it was that moment where I was like, okay, 
I get it. I get it. This is not about me. Ever. Yeah. has never, ever been about me. As much as I've tried to make it. and hmm. You know, you're real. I get it. You're real. And you're doing something substantial here. And I just need to get on board somehow and do my part. And so that sort of, not sort of, that was the kick in the butt that I needed yeah. to get I to know. the place where I am now. Where I'm just like, oh my God, how can I pretend like that didn't happen? Or how can I go back to working in corporate America or... You know, and I've told my wife, I've, you know, I've told everybody, I'm like, they can take my house. They can take my cars, do whatever if I can't pay the bills. But I have a responsibility now to what I've seen mm -hmm. to tell people, hey, there is a miraculous, healing, powerful God at work. And, you know, in the same respect, the woman that I prayed with, the first one, the ice woman that was just a once in a, I mean, I saw her in the corner as the service started and she was possessed. I mean, she was absolutely in the hands of the devil and distorted in ways that I've only seen in movies. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in that same day, I got a dose of truth and evil and how they are fighting constantly for us. And either we get serious and we roll up our sleeves and we do something about it, or we just let it happen. And mm -hmm. I can't, I can't, I can no longer be a person that lets it happen. I don't care what people think. I don't care if people think I'm worthy or not, because it's really not about them and it's not up to them. I have a responsibility to do what I've called to do. Yeah. I may not be perfect, but I'm forgiven and I'm going to do it. Yeah. Did uh, I, I, So was Benny Hinn, that experience and being out with Benny, I mean, of, of, all, of all people, probably the last person you expected... Yeah, yeah, like you know, life change. Oh yeah, being Mister Baptist. Yeah, like did it was that sort of the thing that rejuvenated passion and faith in oh, you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think I was already getting to that point. I mean, I I met some amazing people out there. I became extremely good friends with uh, Pastor's son Josh and then his nephew Will, and the three of us together went through with Brad, security guy, went through a revival of sorts, um, just on our own. You know what the interesting thing is, is that we would go to pubs after service and we would have a beer, have a pint or something. And we'd always end up talking about the things that we'd seen and experienced and how desperate we were to have a supernatural experience in our life and how we wanted that to happen for us. Mm -hmm. And God finally let that happen for me. You know, he finally let me see that realistically. And I mean, there's people that are listening to this like, I don't believe it. And it's like, that's fine. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't want to believe it, don't believe it. But some things are true whether you believe them or not, you know. Yeah. And God doesn't need our permission to be who he is. He's going to be miraculous. Yeah. And he's going to be God whether we think it's real or fake or whatever. So that's fine. He's been God for ever <laughs> and he will be forever <laughs> you know and you'll just be a blip on the existence so it's up to you are you going to be an effective blip are you going to be somebody that actually tells the world that there's a different way mm. or are you just going to be a whiny skeptical blip who is just cynical and goes and dies cynical yeah. what, what's where's the joy in that yeah. so are you you know so is that was that kind of a mo is that Trying to when you, when did you finally go? You know I can't I can't ignore what I've oh that week <laughs> that was it yeah was that when it was like I've got to go be yeah I remember calling home to. and telling telling my wife about it and telling my family about it and coming home and 
people just staring at me thinking I was crazy, you know, like, what's Jody been smoking kind of thing, or, you know, everybody blames stuff on my medication, but it's not. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it was real, and it happened, and I just, I knew at that point that I had a responsibility, you know, that God didn't, I don't think, we don't see stuff like that happen in the United States, again, like Roger Breland says, and I used to wonder what he meant by that, but because we live in a country of doubt, we just don't believe it, and we don't need him, you know, we have our stuff, we have our things, and we think that that's enough. Yeah. But when I saw that and I realized that there was more, I knew that I had to do more. And so, and and again, it is a it is a we go back to what I said before. It is a um, it's an example of me just doing what I know how to do. Mm. You know, I don't know how to do anything else. But there's a purpose behind it now. You know, I know why I don't know how to do anything else because. I am uniquely suited and qualified to do something very specific, right. you know, and I know that now. Um, I literally had to go around the world, get heart disease, almost lose my marriage, almost die, commit suicide, get, you know, um, uh, chronic or depression and all these other things to figure that out. Mm-hmm. But all of that culminated in one old woman, you know, getting her sight back yeah. for me to realize, okay, I, you I hear you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I not only did she get her sight back, but I got my sight, mm-hmm. and um, it's like you're loud and clear. Amazing, and you know there, it's a daily, still a daily walk and a challenge, and I have health issues that I have to overcome every day. And some mornings I do wake up, and while I'm thankful for the breath in my lungs, it is harder to breathe, and I don't sing as strongly as I used to. Some people say, "Oh, that's not true," but I know the difference. I work really hard to try to maintain. But I can notice, and I can even hear the difference, mm. you know. But no, no, I don't know that doesn't matter. It's not going to keep me from doing it. Yeah. What do you say to somebody who's listening who struggles with depression? Like, what is your advice, or do you have? Well, the first thing I would say is please don't listen to anybody who tells you it's because of a lack of faith or because you don't trust Christ enough, or because that's just not true, mm. you know. And I'd say, well, then what? So is your overeating, you know? You're fat. Go go. You know what? What's your problem? What is that? Lack of faith? You don't trust God to, right. I mean, feed you so you gorge yourself. I mean, give me a break. It's yeah. just I, I get tired of Christianese. I get tired of judgmental, ridiculousness. It's like help people for Pete's sake. Yeah. Don't belittle them. Don't tear them down. So I would say to you, you're not alone. You know this is something that happens to a lot of people, and seek help. Get somebody to help you. If you don't want to go to a Christian counselor, then by all means, go to somebody and get some help. Get and try to, you know, you've got to get your, you've got to get your, your, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I have to edit this probably. I can't think of what I'm, what I'm trying to say. You have to get to the place where things make sense again. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes the only way to do that is with the help of medication, which I'm grateful for. I mean, medication keeps me alive. If I didn't take medicine, I would have had a heart attack years ago so don't suffer alone don't suffer in silence don't isolate yourself because you think nobody understands because really it doesn't matter as long as you know there's a problem and you can get help that's all that matters don't worry about people understanding you Um, and even though that's the case that's not true I mean I understand you understand it Mm -hmm. You know, I have a website, www.jodymabrera.com, and there's a place where you can go and fill out a form, and it sends me an email. If you want to send me an email, I'd be happy to email back and forth with you and talk about it. Hmm. If you don't have anybody else to talk to, I'm not a counselor, 
and I don't profess to be a counselor. I've been through it, and I can point you in the right direction as far as who you need to talk to, but I'm happy to do it. What do you, uh, so now, you know, obviously it's never really over. You know what I mean? You just no. you grow and you get better no. adapted. No. Life is better. life. It's still, it's still life. Yeah. There's still things that suck yeah. every day. Yeah. Um, I mean, since I've been taking that, I mean, I've experienced heartache and highs and lows and difficulties and, mm. um, you know, but I'm recording again and, um, my record is coming out, and that's full of just life experience songs and things that. What's the album called? Keep breathing. Keep breathing. That's what I thought. Yeah. It is do you feel like has this kind of has that also sort of excited you and made you encouraged? Oh you? gosh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I think um, it's not, but it's different now. It's like I'm not excited because oh, I'm making records and music again. I'm excited because I feel like God said. I, Here's your second chance, and now you know what you need to say. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, the, no more is it the Jody of I don't know what else to do, so I'm just going to do this. You know, that's what I did for you know 30 years. Yeah. Now it's okay. You've got something to say. You've got a purpose. You've got a point. Let's make it. Which is the point is there's a real tangible God who has a real tangible plan for your life, and I know that sounds like Christianese, but it's fact. And regardless of how you feel in your current circumstances, regardless of how dark things seem, your marriage, your life, your finances, whatever, all of that is working towards a point where you're going to be fulfilled. You're going to fulfill who God has called you to be. You, you, you can't not, yeah. you know. And I just want to challenge people to recognize that in themselves. I want to challenge people to see that if you're suffering depression, there is a place where the light can come. And... If you're struggling with family issues or marital issues, there is a place where redemption and healing can take place. Um, if you're struggling with health issues, you know there is healing available to you. Do I believe God chooses to heal everyone? No, I don't. He hasn't healed me from heart disease. I still have it. I still go to a doctor once a month. I still take two medications every day that make me feel like crap. But it's also the thing that keeps me on my knees. Mm-hmm. And sometimes... You have to look at your heart disease, your cancer, your, um, you know, uh, Lyme's disease, your uh, what's the, your MS. All those things keep you on your knees. They keep you where God wants you to be. And maybe that's because you're a stubborn person, and that's yeah. what it took. Because yeah. that's for me. I was a stubborn person, mm. and it took heart disease. Yeah. I know we need to wrap up, but um, sorry, I've got. I'm gonna put links. So chatty. No, I love it. I'm gonna put links to Pedro. I'm gonna put, <laughs> I'm gonna put links to all your stuff and all that. Um, but I'm, just wrapping up, I have a few questions. Okay, yeah. That I can ask everybody. When does Jody McBrayer most feel alive? At the beach. Isn't it interesting? <laughs> it's the one place that I thought I was gonna take my life, but it's the one place I feel the most alive. Yeah. At the ocean. Is that... With my family. Has it always been that? Yeah, it has. I grew up in Florida, so being around the ocean and the beach and the sun, and it just, I feel the most alive there. Yeah. Um, Habits, like our life, success, struggle, like, is a combination of habits. Like, have you had (laughs) habits you've had to create in your life? Oh, sure, yeah. Any you can share? Yeah, well, health is a habit, and, you know, I sometimes better at it than others, but, I mean, I, I bike two or three times a week. I've been, I've started doing weights. I can't do a lot of weights, so I have to have help with that. So I've had to pay somebody to help me yeah. with weights. But I am bulking up some and 
that's that's not really to look good more so than it is just to be healthy and yeah. to build strength. Yeah. Um, so that's a habit that I've had to train myself to get to because I love I love the food, all of it. I've never <laughs> I I've never I love I've never met any of the food that I didn't like. So in order to eat, I have to keep moving. Yeah, and I don't stop. Yeah, you know, and and two, my heart is sort of like a. It's like a jump start on a motorcycle. If I if I if I turn the motorcycle off for too long, it takes a while for it to heat up before you can get going again. So I don't like to stop for too long. Yeah. What about any any habits you've cut out? Ah, <laughs> lots of those. <laughs> lots of those. Some I cannot share on okay. on the air. But you know, I don't I don't drink mm. anymore. I might have a glass of wine every once in a while, but I, and I don't even enjoy drinking that much. So, yeah. you know, it was never a big thing. I do enjoy beer. It's just been in my family. My dad drank beer. And yeah. We didn't have alcoholism in our family. So I know a lot of people who have alcoholism in their family. They choose not to drink, and I totally respect that. And if I'm ever with somebody who struggles with it, I don't drink. Yeah. Um, but I, I used to drink a lot, and so now I choose not to. Yeah. yeah. Uh, best advice you've ever been given? <laughs> Keep breathing. Keep breathing. Oh. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, you have any bad advice? Oh, yeah, I've been given lots of bad advice. Um, most of those people aren't in my life anymore, thank God. That's how God has weeded those people out. But, you know, um, I mean, I had somebody who was like, I've had people give me advice before and tell me to to do things that were just, even Christians, just so contrary. And it was so obvious at the time it was so contrary to God's will for my life, you know. Mm. But I listened to it because I thought, well, they're godly, right? Yeah. You know, and just, please, just go with your gut. God gives you a gut for a reason, Call it the Holy Spirit. Call it, uh, you know, um, intuition, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, if somebody's telling you something and it doesn't feel right, most of the time it's not right. And thankfully, I'm a very intuitive person. And so I would walk away from that and go, you know, I'm probably not going to do that. Any any favorite books or your reader? Any books that have inspired you? Um, Yeah. I love, well, it's a little bit of a controversial book, but I'm telling you it's opened my eyes to a lot. And it's called, um, uh, oh my gosh, now the name has totally escaped me because it's been a couple, it's been a year or so since I read it. It's a good but book. <laughs> Melissa Green actually said it. Um, a Generous Orthodoxy. Okay. Um, and it's, it, it has sort of opened my eyes to the understanding of God's grace. And um, it was written by a man who was a pastor, who was a clergy, who's done a lot of different things. And, um, really just understanding what acceptance means and understanding how God's grace really works in accepting everyone Mm -hmm. and how ultimately it's not my place to judge. It's not. My place is to share the light of God's love Mm -hmm. and to bring people closer to God and encourage them in Christ. And then it's the Holy Spirit's job to tell that person what's right and wrong in their life, Mm -hmm. not mine. So I will bring the truth to them, I will bring love to them, and I will bring encouragement to them. But... I have to let the Holy Spirit do its job yeah. because I, I can't, I can't, it's exhausting judging people. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. Mentors. I have a lot. Tim Johnson. He's a pastor of a church in, or in Orlando, Orlando world outreach. He is, um, you know, six foot five running back. Used to be running back for the, you're the running back or tight end for the Washington Redskins. Big black man terrifies me, but he gives the best <laughs> hugs ever. And he's just a godly giant, yeah. and he's a big mentor for me. That's awesome. Um, and I would have to say, too, I mean, Roger Breland and I don't talk much, but, you know, you can't argue with that consistency. He has a gift in wisdom. He does. It's literally like God. People, he pisses people off. 
he'll say something to somebody and they'll be like, shut up. Oh, you're so dumb. But years then, later, you look years back later and you're like, like yeah. well, crap. He <laughs> 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 knew what he was talking about. Yeah. Um, regrets? Millions of them. But I, I don't have time for them. Yeah. You know, I think we could coulda, shoulda, woulda about everything in our life. Mm-hmm. But it's so counterproductive as to moving forward. And you got to keep moving forward. One's foot in front of the other, yeah. you know. And the whole three steps forward, two steps back is so real, you know. Oh, yeah, it's just yeah. life. But don't take four steps back. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no point in turning around. I mean, look what that did to to uh, Lot's wife when she turned around. <laughs> nah. Just jacked her up. Yeah. So just keep <laughs> moving forward. What do you want to be remembered for? Gosh. You know, I, I want to be remembered as that guy that finally got it right, you know. I mean, I think a lot of people will remember me as the guy that maybe did this or that or, boy, you know, he, was, he had some struggles or he was sick or... But I want to also, I always think about what people would say at my funeral. I don't know if you think about that. But I always want people to say, but you know what? Jody got it right, and he loved really well. Mm. And I want to be that guy. That's good. I have to write this stuff out because, like, I'm not this um, I'm not this smooth. So everybody that thinks that I'm just awesome interviewing, I always have a template. A pam- whatever, template. A template? Template. <laughs> <laughs> a template. A, pam- a pamphlet. <laughs> but I want to tell you. Thank you. Uh, thanks for doing this podcast. Um, I believe your life, you specifically, Jody McBrayer, I believe your life, your story, your music, old and new, will uh, resonate all the more because of your willingness to be open and authentic. And, uh, and my hope and prayer is that the days to come will be far more successful uh, than you ever dreamt could be possible, that your family will be blessed beyond measure, and that God works in, in and through you to touch the world with, like you just said, with love. And, uh, and if you never feel like you've uh, never made a difference or done anything of significance, uh, I want you to always think or be able to think of me because I chased after a teenage dream because of the ways God used your life and your talent to touch someone like me and uh, shape the course of my life. And I'm honored not only to be a fan, but now, you know, be your friend now as well. So so thank you very, very much for everything. Well, about for the day. nicest thing ever. I'm serious. I really uh. appreciate it. And I'll, again, everybody, I'll post links to Jody. He's got new music. You're going to want to listen to it. He's one of the greatest singers you've ever heard. Blah, blah, blah. God bless you. I love you. Thank love you, you too, today. My pleasure. God bless you. Coming